0: This is Teddy Stigma, the world's worst role model, reminding you kids to be like me. Eat steak, lift weights, and drink whiskey. And listen to the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole
1: refin Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole refin Show.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dear listeners, all, welcome back to the Whole Reffin' Show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. Here we are. It's me, Darren Beasley, and myself, Perry Smith. We are so glad that you have decided to join us today here on the Whole Reffin' Show. Because it's episode 43, it's big news, it's big times, it's big happenings, it's hashtag wrestle news and wrestle views. It's one big hodgepodge of hashtag wrestle talk. And you don't want to miss it. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about Alberto El Patron and Paige. They've found their way back into our news feed, back onto the whole reference show. This time it's not so good. Yeah. Uh, actually, most of the time it's not so good with them. But yeah. is... trouble in
0: non-paradise.
2: Trouble in non-paradise <laughs> is a, a very, very good way to say that.
3: Yeah.
2: In WWE land, we have one rather surprising departure to comment on and one... Arrival, that we had suspected was coming for some time now, and now
0: he has arrived. More arrivals and departures. It is just like LAX up in here, but oh, not the Impact Wrestling slash GFW LAX. No, of course we mean Los Angeles International Airport.
2: That we do. And, You know, if you hang a corner out of there, you can get to the El Segundo Brewery. You can ask for a Broken Skull IPA. <laughs> but. Before you crack open your Steve Weisers, dear listeners, we have a hell of an episode for you today. In addition to the top stories of the day, we are going to give you the results of raw exclusive Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view and our Head to Head. Head to Head. After the results of that WWE pay-per-view that saw... All of their championships on the line. We're going to talk to a man who once called the action for the WWE. We are so pleased to announce that today we have part one of our interview with Rich Bokini. Former lead announcer of NXT television. Former lead announcer of SmackDown. Current voice of Fest Wrestling and Circus, And the host of the J.J. Dillon Show, a, uh, a fellow podcaster, if you will. We had a great conversation with Rich Bokini, and you definitely want to hear us talk to him about growing up a wrestling
0: fan, getting into the wrestling business. Absolutely. Some of you listeners might remember him as uh, Rich Brennan, as he was called in WWE. Um, but, uh, man, such a wealth of information from him, such great insider info and well, we basically find out how he got into the business and also what goes on behind closed doors and what you hear about backstage. And, and, you know, we'll hear about more of that later on, but that's not all we got Darren. No, before
2: this episode ends, you are also going to revisit Long Beach, California for night. 19- Two of New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 special in USA. We are going to break that show down match by match, including the semifinal matchups in the inaugural IWGP United States tournament, as well as the crowning of that champion in the night's main event. This is a jam-packed episode of the whole ref and show. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into those headlines.
0: It seems that the love between a man and a woman has hit some rough seas. And that man being Alberto Del Patron, formerly known as Alberto Del Rio, and one page. Uh, Unfortunately, things basically looking as bad as everyone assumed they actually were in real life. Yes? Yes, yes. yes. There's no way to sugarcoat this. There's no way to
2: sugarcoat this. There's no way to confirm this either. The last thing that we want to do on this program ever is to defame anyone or to tell tales out of school. We certainly don't want to spread misinformation or hashtag fake news. However, despite Paige's most recent protests It seems exactly what you said is the case. The fears that Alberto has mistreated his girlfriend, Paige. Uh, We've we've received tweets for months and months and months from the father of Paige uh, concerning his daughter's mental and physical well-being. We know that Paige's father does not get along with Alberto now tweets are coming out from both of Paige's brothers saying, look, here's the proof. We have photos of bruises on her body, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, this whole thing came about. We've heard, you know, for months now, weeks, oh, they had an argument. They've broken up, blah, 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 blah. And as long as it seemed like purely he said, she said type stuff, we've left it alone, you know, Del Rio and Page have been reported on on this show quite a bit. But recently, we've been kind of quiet waiting to see, you know, what sort of turned into an actual story and what didn't. Right. Well, there's an audio recording of an altercation that occurred earlier this week in an airport between Del Rio and Page. Uh, It it just seems really ugly. Uh, It seems like uh, what... Maybe said about Del Rio being an abusive partner could very well be true uh, because uh, whether or not the photos of bruises exist, abuse is uh, just as damaging if it's mental or emotional as if it's physical. In fact, it's very likely that it's more damaging. Uh, you you can heal a bruise, but you don't forget uh, being tossed around or being screamed at or belittled or or whatever occurs. In an abusive uh, relationship. Global Force Wrestling has even gone so far as to indefinitely suspend Alberto Alpatron slash Del Rio. So there must be some truth
0: behind everything that's being said. Absolutely. Yeah. Even
2: if they're just playing it safe, they know something. Right. They If they felt like this was not a real story, they wouldn't have done that. Because they've just taken absolutely the whole kitten caboodle and put it around the waist of El Patron. They've united the TNA slash Impact World title and the Global Force title. Boom, they've taken it off of Lashley. Del Rio's got it all. And now they're going to suspend him indefinitely?
0: Yeah. If there
2: were not something to believe happened between him and Paige, a lot, I dare say, this this would not have occurred. So it seems like there's a lot of legitimacy to this story, and uh, the whole reference show will definitely continue to follow it as uh, the developments come our way. Right,
0: indeed we will. Uh, speaking of Impact Wrestling, uh, former Impact Champion Austin Aries, uh, who is last seen on WWE programming, feuding with the Cruiserweight Champion, the King of the Cruiserweights, Neboil, um, has actually called it quits with the WWE, so uh, Austin Aries no longer happy with his role with the company and has decided to uh, to move on. Now, you said surprisingly earlier, uh, this is not surprising at all. I, th- I thought they, well, it, it's kind of a catch twenty two because Austin Aries is wrestling on NXT, you know, with, with some regularity. He gets injured. He takes a Kinshasa to the face and breaks his orbital socket. Um, so instead of them just kind of putting him on a shelf, they actually put him in a, a chair for commentary for uh, 205 Live matches on Raw, uh, which keeps Austin Aries in spotlight or gives him an even brighter spotlight for the most part. One of the very best examples, and a rare one, of WWE getting lemons and making lemonade. Absolutely, and Austin Aries was the perfect uh, man for that. Uh, job because he's he is a smooth talker, and then you know, when his eye, his orbital socket all healed up, and he was ready to return to the ring, uh, he's face to face with Neville, who's the current champion. And people are like, Oh my god, yes! And these people know uh, Austin Aries now because he's been doing commentary and he's he's likable and he's done uh, backstage segments with people and he does interviews. And so he's over, and it's time for Austin Aries to go after the championship, and you know, really. It's time for Austin Aries to just be champion because I think you know Neville's had the belt for a a good long while, as they say, I guess me being they, um. So, but instead, just Neville goes over on Austin Aries is defeat after defeat after defeat, and eventually Austin Aries just kind of like gives up. I guess wrestling is kind of the last time you see Austin Aries, and that is what's interesting to me is. Aries
2: after that, took to Twitter with the whole, I've got to rethink things, right. I've got to blah, blah. All right, that has become very common with wrestlers, and it's either, every time it's either been A, bullshit, or B, at least semi in character, and then
0: regardless of whether it was A or B, has amounted to nothing. This could be a work, too. We don't know that. Like, I mean... Going this far seems like it's it's a bit too far, but at the same time, I would be surprised if, if it was a work. I would be surprised. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, Austin Aries no longer WWE, so maybe ROH, maybe return back to Impact Wrestling or GFW, whatever it's going to be called by the time he gets there. Um, maybe to Japan who knows we'll see what happens I would take him uh, in any
2: of those organizations if I were those organizations and as a fan I'd love to see him in any of those yeah also I guess it was uh, it was Austin Airy, so they didn't make
0: uh, uh, lemonade out of
2: lemons I guess maybe they made
0: banana aid <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry out of bananas didn't mean to jump in a joke there but I had to let you know that I, I knew we were going with that very nice but now, I want to taste some banana aid <laughs> It sounds Ugh, yeah, uh, I, that's sounds
3: mushy.
2: Yeah, I don't want to
0: taste banana. No,
2: banana juice
0: is not really a thing. I guess it kind of is if you if you let bananas sit for a very Bleh. very long time that like they get like a little watery. Yeah, it's called rot. Mm. <laughs> Maybe your household was too good for banana rot. Where I came from, we were lucky if we had banana rot. All the banana rot you can drink. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because that means we let perfectly good bananas go to waste (laughs) so that we can have the delicacy of banana rot.
2: So if Ares and his bananas and his (laughs) banana rot are on their way out the door, Kyle O'Reilly, he comes in the outdoor. Hey! Kyle O'Reilly, the other half of Red Dragon, we reported... Just recently on the Hall Reffin show that Bobby Fish had made his NXT debut. And now Kyle O'Reilly has as well. He appeared at this week's NXT tapings taking on Aleister Black. And Man, they just keep throwing these guys at Aleister Black. And as we said when we reported that Bobby Fish had taken on Aleister Black for an NXT television taping, uh, (laughs) I love it. These are dream matches. These are these are matches that we've we've you know had an opportunity to see before, for uh, like, uh, pro wrestling gorilla or some other uh, smaller organizations, but to see them, on NXT television, man, in that full sale uh, arena and all of its wonderful production quality, it's very exciting. I totally dig it. So uh, Kyle O'Reilly former ROH standout and former IWGP Tag Team Champion with Bobby Fish as the Tag Team Red Dragon, now in NXT.
0: That's right. Just, you know, in case you thought that the the line between indie talent and ROH and all that stuff was closing, uh, no, no, no. The, the, this was coming in by the boatloads to NXT and WWE folks. So I'm sure there's more where that came from. We'll let you know. What do we know? And that's going to do it for our
2: headlines today. Our first segment of the show is coming up. It is the results of our head-to-head. Head-to-head. As Perry and I will give you the breakdown of the WWE's raw exclusive Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view.
0: On July 9th in Dallas, Texas, WWE Great Balls of Fire took place. And uh, despite a lot of criticisms over the name of the pay per view, well deserved. Yeah, well deserved. It uh, it still happened, man. We we couldn't stop it. <laughs> no, no, that's true. It, it could not be stopped. Um, it is a, a monster in itself. And uh, nonetheless, Great Balls of Fire did come to us, and uh, it happened. And uh, it wasn't that great of a pay per view. <laughs> It wasn't
2: that bad. It wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. I will say I've heard a lot of talk that people were unhappy with the finishes, particularly. The finishes is what I was happy with. I didn't mind these finishes, or at least the outcomes, you know, uh so I mean we both did pretty well with our picks and uh we'll we'll cover them as we go match by match, but I was I was happy with this pay per view. It was the best I ever saw. Far from it, okay. but uh, I, I enjoyed saying, myself.
0: I didn't hear that first part. <laughs> it's the best I ever saw. It's like, well, folks, I'm finding a new broadcast partner. Darren's gone. Bye bye. Uh, so let's start with the very first match of the show. That's technically not the very first match of the show. The cruiserweight title was defended on the kickoff show, the pre-show, which means Neville, king of the cruiserweights, took on Akira Tazawa. Accompanied of the ring by Titus O'Neil, Akira uh, Tozawa, the latest uh, to join the Titus brand, which I think actually does something for Akira Tozawa. Otherwise, he's just he's just a right, just a guy. It's it's it is something. He's just a cruiserweight. I like it. I'd love to see uh, Titus just clothesline the hell out of Neville. Also, that'd be really <laughs> cool looking. It's interesting that you get to
2: see some like typical heel runaway tactics out of Neville. Which to me was interesting because it showed that Neville actually had like some fear or hesitation or trepidation uh, about facing Tazawa, And that's different. We haven't seen that out of Neville since his heel turn and his ascent to the top of this division.
0: There does seem to be quite a bit of evasion on the uh, behalf of Neville. Including uh, when Akira hits Neville with a senton bomb from to the top rope. But Neville just kind of rolls out of the ring. Uh, not a harm's way, and uh, which is smart. Very smart heel tactics, yes. But something Neville's been kind of doing lately anyway uh, whenever he's hit by a finisher. But unfortunately, Akira does not have what it takes to take out Neville, who uses his his usual tactics, his trickery, to uh, outsmart uh, Akira and Titus as well, unfortunately. And Neville retains the championship. I don't think this belt's ever going to get off of Neville.
2: Uh, the longer they keep it on him...
0: The more I'm okay with it. <laughs> to have a new belt and a new show based on this belt, and for that belt to never go to anyone else on a show where it is the only belt, there are no other belts to win, it, it it's not great because Neville was already someone going into it. And him having the belt, it elevates the title, but... None of the wrestlers get that elevation, who actually need the elevation at this point. All the more reason for this to be the division
2: and the program where WWE introduces a six-man
0: tag team. I absolutely agree with that, definitely, indeed. We figured Neville would retain, and he does retain on this night, so, hey, so far so good, Darren. But that doesn't matter, because now the show officially begins, we all know the kickoff show's bullshit, and... That's not any. <laughs> that's not any actual wrestling. Um, that's a, That's those are their words. There, they're not my words. <laughs> so the very first match of the night. Um, I don't think they said that. Well, that's what they say. Uh, two former champions, actually. Bray Wyatt taking on Seth Rollins, the
2: Architect. Yeah. Versus the Eater of Worlds and the Eater of Architects. Well, uh, I mean, an architect would. Probably, if it's a world of architects, uh, an architect would probably be on a world. I don't know an architect who's bigger than a world, unless it's. Uh, a
0: god of some sort. Mm-hmm. I'll do some thinking. I'll figure it out. Um, but uh, no house of horrors this is just a straight up match between Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. Um, and uh, the only thing I don't like about this whole feud is it's it's a very like we don't know what to do with you guys, so you guys just fight each other. Feud. Really is that? So this doesn't really mean anything. Bray Wyatt just kind of got you know slingshotted onto Raw. Seth Rollins was feuding with Triple H and Samoa Joe for a long time, and now he's not. So it's kind of like, well, I'm just here. Come on <laughs> now, Bray. All right, then, Seth. You and me going to mix it up. It's a good match, though, uh,
2: because we get to see a lot of strong style, I guess, for lack of a better term. Power moves. And It's one thing to expect it and get it from Bray Wyatt. But to see Seth Rollins pull out a Falcon Arrow on Bray Wyatt, I mean, that's a power move you don't expect seeing uh, out of Seth Rollins on on a guy twice his size.
0: Yeah. A lot of really cool moves. Uh, Bray actually hits Seth with DDT on the outside apron, which looks particularly painful. I've heard that's the hardest part of the ring. Well, I've heard that too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a good match, and they basically have the match all over again on Raw. Uh, and for me, the actual, the, the Raw rematch is better than this match was. But uh, that, I mean, that's that's just, you know, opinion. It's just opinion. Uh, but ultimately, though, Bray Wyatt actually uh, gives Seth the thumb to the eye. Right. With that taped up thumb. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he uses that.
2: Making that relevant again after a very long time.
0: The old taped up thumb. The old taped up thumb to the eye. I've used it many times in my life. No, I haven't. Um, but uh, Bray jumps, <laughs> jumps to the ring and actually hits Sister Abigail on Seth Rollins against the pen. And surprisingly, Bray Wyatt wins the match, and you and I both said, nah, they're gonna let Seth Rollins win. A pay-per-view victory by
2: Bray Wyatt. I mean What? What happened there? I mean, I'm happy yeah. in every way, except, of course, the fact that we both picked Seth Rollins to win. So now we're both one
0: and one. One and one. But still tied. That's all that matters. Following that, we got a grudge match with uh, Big Cass taking on Enzo Amore, uh, the former tag team that everyone loves. And by everyone, I mean half of you. Half of you do not like the tag team of Enzo and Cass.
2: Oh, Enzo
0: Amore. Guess. Oh, Enzo Amore. <laughs> Guess which camp Darren's in. Um, so big man versus little man. And you would think, uh, we had, we had, we were thinking about this one. We, we didn't think that Enzo would, we actually thought Enzo might actually have a chance to beat big Cass, you know, just in like a, maybe he's just going to rally and, and the hero's going to win. But then you and I were like, no, this is because Cass needs to go exactly. off and, and spread his wings. We both knew the entire
2: purpose of this breakup. Is a push for Cass, why would you start it with a loss to the very person that is supposedly so weak and inept that you're holding back the talent and the ability of the big man? And once we realized that, we realized this would be a squash match, and it was. And it was, and even though I don't want this team to be broken up... And I want Enzo to be the end-all, be-all. In terms of hashtag wrestling logic, this is well booked. If you must break them up, and God, why did you? And I'm still very upset. And I still am shedding a single tear just like Enzo Amore. But if you are going to do it, this is exactly how you do it. You have the match at the very next pay-per-view. You have it be a squash match. The person who's pissed at being held back shows why it's valid.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they you know, did it right. This was booked right. Good for them. You you break up a long running tag team. You should have that match immediately take place on the pay per view, right? Our truth in Gold Dust. Um, so, <laughs> Big Cass and Enzo, uh, yeah, Gorilla Press slammed uh, to Enzo into the outside of the ring and a big boot and a pin. And Big Cass makes a big statement. Enzo goes to the back, and that's kind of all all she wrote about that one. And now,
2: in the head-to-head, head-to-head, you and I are two and one. Hey, I like that. Next up, we have... Tag teams
0: that stayed together.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And they are going to compete against one another in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Oh, no. A 30-minute Iron Man match. Yeah. Which shouldn't exist. Should be an hour. Just, I don't, whatever. Just make it an hour. I don't, whatever. The champions, your Raw Tag Team Champions, are Sheamus and Cesaro. And they are fighting for the 100th time now, the Hardy Boys. Uh, and I, I'm not tired of it, though. I, I say that, but I say that because it's true. I don't say it as a loaded statement. Because I'm actually enjoying every one of these matches between these two teams. A 30-minute Iron Man match is not the way to go simply because you're reducing the importance of the Iron Man match. And not only have you cut the Iron Man match time in half, you've doubled the amount of participants. So really, this is now
0: uh, 25% of the match that it should be. That's absolutely accurate. Also, you're using the Iron Man match way too much. Uh, That's that's true. Stop using Iron Man matches as much.
2: But uh, I will say this, and I said this while we were watching it. As far as a thirty-minute Iron Man match goes, this could not have gone any better. Wow! This was booked exceptionally well. You get the immediate uh, surprise when ten seconds in, Sheamus hits the Brogue Kick and boom, one, two, three. Sheamus and Cesaro are up one to nothing. 10 minutes in, so you go from 10 seconds getting the first point in this 30 man Ironman match. Nine minutes and 50 seconds later, Sheamus and Cesaro hit a double team move. Now they're leading two to nothing after another pinfall. At the 17 minute mark, Jeff Hardy hits the poetry in motion, the side effect, and the twist of fate all in succession. Hardy's get the pin. Now Sheamus and Cesaro are leading only 2-1. At the 13-minute mark, Sheamus and Cesaro score a point by count out. That was kind of a surprise, and especially because it caused them to jump out to a 3-1 lead. And I was like, yikes. You know, how do you come back from that? Um, At the 7-minute mark, with only 7 minutes remaining out of the 30, Matt Hardy hits a backslide on Cesaro. Jeff does a double leg drop on Cesaro's legs into sort of a double pin. And uh, the pinfall by the Hardys, now it is three to 3-2. Sheamus and Cesaro in the lead. At the three-minute mark, with only three minutes remaining, Matt Hardy to Sheamus, pinfall, tied Three all. Here we are, like you know, like they always say. Now it's zero zero. This is just, just winner takes all. Double top rope splash by the Hardys. Sheamus and Cesaro kick out. Matt tags Jeff. Matt and Sheamus double clothesline one another. Jeff then hits a swanton on Sheamus, but Cesaro was the legal man. He runs in, pins Jeff, Sheamus and Cesaro, up four to three. Matt is busted wide open at this point, bleeding like a horse.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really nasty cut above I think, his right eye, but like I, I don't recall the move that did it. No, just he was suddenly gushing blood. I assume it was Sheamus
2: related, but go ahead. Usually, I think Jeff kept all of his teeth in this match though.
0: Oh, they they made sure to mention it though repeatedly.
2: So, Jeff gets Cesaro in the ring and hits the Twist of Fate on him, but time runs out. The clock hits 0 before Jeff can make the pin to tie it up and therefore, Sheamus and Cesaro win the 30-minute Iron Man match by a score of 4 to 3, four decisions. 2-3 decisions, and they retain their Raw Tag Team Championships.
0: Really impeccable timing on that uh, that final few seconds where Jeff Hardy hits the twist of fate and goes for the pen because literally at 2, the buzzer goes off. Like It was all just very, very well timed. That's not easy to do when no. you can't see the timer that's, <laughs> that's behind you. So uh, hats off to them. It was a great match for me. The second half was far superior to the first half. Uh, but I mean, you know, pacing and all that stuff. It's Iron Man match or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, we had both picked Sheamus and Cesaro to retain.
2: Yay! So therefore, we are both correct, and so now at this point, we are three and one. Ooh. we're doing pretty well. We got daytime jobs. We're doing all
0: right. We're doing all right. Uh, we got some women's action after that, as the women's champion Alexa Bliss defends her title against Sasha Banks debaus Sasha Banks versus the Goddess. Alexa Bliss. Yes. Um. This is a brawl. It is a brawl. It is a brawl for all. Uh, these girls don't like each other. Sasha really does not like Alexa Bliss. I, I fear it might be a real thing. This might be a shoot. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, these two are still trying to figure out each other wrestling-wise. It's it's not, it's not super smooth wrestling, but it is very brawl-y. Um, at one point, though, Alexa fakes a, an arm injury because she's able, she's double jointed in the uh, I guess where her elbow is, and so she she has her arm hanging pretty low. It looks pretty nasty, and the commentary team is just freaking out about it because how nasty it looks, and they're like. Very surprised that she's able to do that, and they act like she's never done it before, but if they'd ever seen an episode of Raw where she's, you know, <laughs> done that, then they would know that she, that's one of her main tricks in her repertoire. Um, so yeah, Alexa just faking those, and she kind of just jumps out and, uh, and attacks Sasha Banks when she's not aware and not prepared. Alexa actually hits Sasha Banks with a Canadian Destroyer Boom. with a little help from the, the first turnbuckle. She has to kind of get a little bit of momentum going, a little bit of height, um, because she's, she's a little small. Actually, it's very interesting because Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks are both not very tall. In fact, JoJo was taller than both of them when they all stood in the ring That's crazy. in the very, very beginning of the match. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Alexa actually takes the count out in this one uh champion's advantage as the commentary team will constantly tell you whenever that happens um and i I think that's lame just just taking the belt and leaving unless you're Mr perfect then it's totally fine um <laughs> so I wasn't a big fan of that finish, mister. I love all the finishes uh with with no exceptions I did what not you said say that. Is what I you said you that. are mister I love all the finishes with I, no exceptions I did not say that you you said that folks um but, anyway so Sasha Banks technically wins, though Alexa Bliss does retain. Now, see, whenever I I say that so and so gonna gonna win, that means they're gonna retain their belt. And no, to me, to me, this doesn't. is still a win. No,
2: no,
0: These shouldn't no. count, Darren. These shouldn't count. Well, in that case, we both got it wrong. We both said Alexa Bliss would win. So, way to go, stupids! By that I mean
2: After the match, Sasha attacks Alexa. Up at the entranceway, and Alexa then uh, takes Sasha on top of the announce table. But as as it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sasha then
0: throws Alexa off of the table. Which looks horribly painful, by the way. Because that's what, like a six-foot drop, maybe? Uh yeah, probably, At least at least. And she's she's tiny. It looks like it really hurt her like her knees and ankles when she landed in the yeah. impact.
2: Well, yeah, and then if she just just in case she's not hurt. Sasha then throws herself with that flying double knee thing that she does. Right. Well, basically, I don't care where you hit your opponent, you still land on your
0: knees. That's going to be tough for her knees, but also when you're when you're in between the legs of Sasha Banks who's coming down with all of her body weight and momentum flying at you, there's no way to tuck your chin to protect your head. So it's like, how about you just don't do that move anymore, Sasha?
2: And I guess something went wrong uh, in that very way because Alexa is then seen bleeding from the nose and mouth yeah.
0: as she slowly gets up uh, off the floor. Which, of course, they don't really zoom in on because there's blood. I don't even think they uh, mentioned it. They're finger-painting by the commentary booth, folks. I'm very sorry about that. But yeah, I don't,
2: I don't think they even mention it, but this is now two matches in a row. A lot of blood. With a little juice, a little color, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, but moving on, we have an intercontinental title match. The reigning IC champion of the WWE is The Miz. He is accompanied to the ring on this night, Great Balls of Fire, by his beautiful and uh, devilish wife, Maurice. I was going to say, uh, Bo Dallas. Now, he and, is beautiful and devilish. Okay, yes. You're right, you're right. Okay. Um and he also does accompany the Miz to the Ring uh on this night, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel, who are now being called the Miz Tourage. And uh the uh, this this little Motley crew of uh stars of the Marine Five uh are going to take on <laughs> Dean Ambrose. It's true. It is true. It they're is,
0: a, true. They're it's a Motley crew. They they were smoking in the boys' room.
2: And um Dean Ambrose is the opponent for The Miz, and we're not going to beat that dead horse uh, uh, that we already talked about it last week. Why is this still happening, and why can't Dean be respected and appreciated and put forth on television as somebody who's worth a damn instead of a one-trick silly pony? Right.
0: Dean's better than that is the thing. He is much better than that. But uh, the getting busted open continues over to this match where Dean Ambrose's mouth gets busted open. Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, a lot of blood for this to not be extreme rules. Uh, <laughs> this exactly. is great balls of great balls of fire. Because yeah, this isn't the last blood we're going to see. No, no, the night. no, absolutely not. It, it's but these guys have wrestled so many times. The Miz, Dean Ambrose. I mean, it's it's hard to. Their matches are always good, but it's hard to see something new from their matches. Uh, One cool thing, though, about the match is Dean Ambrose typically does that whole middle rope save where he basically looks like he's about to fly out of the ring, but he saves him. He grabs the two ropes and kind of half out and then goes back in again. Yeah. When he's half out, though, uh, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel grab him and pull him out of the ring. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um... Beyond that, I mean, it's kind of typical stuff for when you have three people on your side. (laughs) You know, they're all going to be like, hey, me, hey, me, Dean, hey, me, referee, hey, me. And uh, ultimately, that's what happens. And Miz hits the uh, Skull Crusher finale on uh, old Dean Ambrose and gets the pin on Ambrose. and, And, you know, that's how it is. And we figured that's what it would be. and That's what it was. No surprises here. So uh, the Miz retains the IC belt, and we said he would, so that makes us the best in the world, Darren. It really does. We're we're doing pretty good. We're pretty great. We're the best in the world. However, on this match, we did not see eye to eye. And that's not just because I'm a bit taller than you are, Darren. That's because you had an opinion, I had an opinion, they did not mesh well. Because I said that in this ambulance match between Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman... That Roman Reigns would win because he always wins. And I said Braun Strowman would win because he has to win. That's right. One of us voted for the house that always wins. The other one voted for the guy that could lift a house. Braun Strowman. Um, He's very strong. Anyway. If the uh, house were an ambulance. If the house were an ambulance. If someone lived in an ambulance, that's kind of a house, right? That would be kind of cool.
2: Would it be cool? It would. Oh, yeah? Yeah, if somebody brought me donuts for breakfast every
0: morning. <laughs> I'm just saying because I live... I'll you know, live anywhere if someone brings <laughs> me donuts for breakfast every morning. I don't know about that. I'll live anywhere. Mm-hmm. If this is a, except for Dunkin' Donuts. Because then, what do I need one or the other? Um, but would you live... Right, but would you
2: live in a Dunkin' Donuts just period? For donuts every no, day? No, no, no.
0: No, 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 no. The, the, the stipulation is not, if I, if, you, if I, if I live anywhere, no, it's so that I can get free donuts every, every morning, every
2: day. No, 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 But the stipulation disappeared and the, because living in the Dunkin' Donuts precluded the
0: need for that stipulation. No, but the point is I'll live anywhere because of the donuts. Not all, You'll live not anywhere. I'll live anywhere.
2: It's, I'll, <laughs> I'll live anywhere I'll live
0: anywhere because I'll get donuts So
2: then not accept Dunkin' Donuts In fact, including Dunkin' Donuts Well,
0: that means I get more donuts More than just some
2: donuts So in fact, that's where you want to live more than any place I guess so In fact, basically you're saying that You know, if I'm a genie in a bottle <laughs> A, you gotta rub me the right way And B... At least your first, if not all of your wishes, uh-huh. are to live inside of a Dunkin' Donuts. Right. You, your words, not mine. Your words, not mine.
0: Is this whole podcast about donuts? <laughs> it could be. It could be. What? The whole reference show, but it's like the donut hole reference the, show? The donut hole reference show? I like it. I like it. All right, we'll talk about that later. Uh, this one, though, is... God, let's go get some donuts. This is just... Oh, stop it. This is just a brawl between two big men, uh, Strowman and Reigns, just going at it like they typically do. And uh, I'm kind of getting tired of this match. What do you think about this match? I'm not... Tired of this match? Oh, I mean, Mr. WWE. No, over here, I'm tired of Roman Reigns. Mr. McMahon never oh.
2: said a bad thing. Well, that's you. Those are your words. Oh my God. Those are yours. Those are my
0: words when they're impersonating your words. And
2: yes. Gerald, that's not my voice. That's Gerald Briscoe's voice. <laughs> that's Mr. McMahon's voice. That's not God Mr. God McMahon's, McMahon's voice. Mr. McMahon. Although he is from North Carolina, he's done a pretty good job of covering up. Uh, but you know what they say. That long hair don't cover up that red neck, boy.
0: <laughs> is that what... Is that what uh, that's what they say. Is that what Joe uh, Briscoe says? Because that's your Briscoe's voice again. Uh, sure. Okay. And
2: I don't know what he's talking about because Vince McMahon never had long hair. Uh, certainly not long enough to cover up his red neck. But, uh... <laughs> so it's a
0: brawl. In an ambulance match, the, uh, the goal of the match is much like a casket match. You want to get your opponent inside of the vessel whether it be a casket, but in this case, it's actually an ambulance. You want to close the doors, and that's it. You send your opponent on his way. And uh, fortunately for Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns kind of does it himself by going for a spear. I think Roman Reigns heard about the uh, donuts <laughs> being brought to I'm you. getting out of <laughs> here! Um, <laughs> so yeah, Roman Reigns goes for a spear on Braun Strowman, As Strowman kind of sidesteps it, and Reigns just soars right into the ambulance, and uh, Strowman just closes the door. That ending, that finish, I actually did like. I did like it. I like that. You know, the
2: number one reason I liked it because Braun Strowman won.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess you would like that for that reason. But it's a
2: short-lived victory. Yeah. As we get to see some real over-the-top attitude era type backstage. Shenaniganry, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, if you will. And, uh, Roman Reigns yanks the ambulance driver, Mr. Ambulance driver, as the flaming lips might say, throws him to the concrete floor where Alexa and Sasha had just bloodied themselves, takes off driving this, uh, by the way, uh, the, this back, this backstage tunnel, that they've driven this ambulance through, that they've backed this ambulance through. By the way, is so barely big enough for this ambulance to move through it the whole time that Roman Reigns and I'm assuming he was actually driving it, at least at first, you know, out of the arena. The whole time he's driving it, he's driving it like a thousand miles per hour in this really small <laughs> corridor. Right. Right. I mean, it's like it, it's almost like. The size of a hole that an earthworm is going through. It's just only marginally bigger than the actual, you know, vehicle here. And uh, I was, like, holding my breath, like, oh, my God. He's, not thinking, oh, he's going to run into the wall. or like Someone's going to just step out of, yeah. like, from behind, you know, like...
0: Whatever, a box or some page, and or then, some runner doesn't know what's going on. Is gonna be like, "Hey guys, oh, what?" Exactly. Yeah. But luckily, the ambulance would have already been there to help him. Uh but there's no one in it except
2: Braun Strowman. So there's there's no one to come to, oh, to his no. aid. There is no Mister Ambulance
0: driver. Oh no, or any EMTs. However, well, hopefully with the donuts, they can cure what ails him.
2: Uh the hey, donuts always as long cure as what as long as mean. what ails
0: him is hunger.
2: Right, and as long as what ails him is not, like, uh,
0: diabetes or something. <laughs> oh, okay. no, that's the opposite is, of what you need. It's true. It's very true.
2: Uh, Roman Reigns takes this ambulance and throws it in reverse and, once again, drives 1,000 miles an hour, only this time backward, crashing into a parked, uh, like, tractor trailer. Yeah. Like, uh, not the actual Tractor part, just the trailer part, um, and I guess we were led to believe Strowman is therefore trapped inside, and Roman wanders off because he he wanders off somewhere to be a babyface because that's the kind
0: of thing a babyface does, right? Absolutely, but it's no, obviously
2: absolutely not.
0: It's a, it's obviously a pre-tape as well. Um, the whole er, as soon as they go backstage, it's all pre-taped. Uh, Roman doesn't have the cuts and bruises he sustains through the match, Um, I've noticed. I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious that it is, but it definitely is when I notice that. Well, sure. Um, But anyway, but uh, they actually, it takes a while to try to figure out what happened to Strowman. uh, You get uh, multiple crewmen kind of running in. Uh, Jamie Noble shows up, but he's trying to get the ambulance door, which has been just jammed. And he's shut.
2: also trying to get as much airtime as he. Yeah, possibly yeah, me <laughs> guys,
0: I'm relevant. Remember me? Remember Jamie Noble? Whoa! So, and here's where the clusterfuckery begins. Wow, and it does. While they're trying to get that done, and, and, and it makes sense in that you can't start your main event match while this is happening because they're still going back. They're going. They're cutting back to all this stuff happening with the ambulance. I guess they decide, like, hey, let's let's have a match while it's happening. When really they should have just left it on the ambulance, and it's weird. I I, I guess
2: maybe the fear was they boo the shit out of Roman Reigns so badly anyway mm-hmm. that if it's a Roman Reigns segment that's taking place entirely backstage for a very long time and nothing is happening in the arena in front of the audience, uh-huh. then the
0: entire background throughout the segment
2: will be a chorus of booze. Right.
0: But I don't know. I think there's enough like intrigue, like what's going on? What's going to happen when they open up the aim. Oh, I feel that way. <laughs> th- th- there's a strong case for just leaving it on what's going on backstage as well as let's put some people out in the ring. Unfortunately, these people are Kurt uh, Hawkins and Heath Slater, who are forced to have a match uh, during this whole thing, and eventually they actually start to open the ambulance up, and no one's watching the match. By the way, everyone's watching the Titantron, um, so which means basically but you didn't need to have not, the match at yeah. all.
2: Mostly, they're not watching it because Kurt Hawkins is
0: involved. Yeah, as soon as I saw Kurt Hawkins come out, I was like, "Nope." Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and it's funny because they, they when I guess they get the ambulance open. Um, They kind of cut back to what's going on backstage. There is no finish for the match in the ring, by the way. Kurt Hawkins and Heath Slater, I guess, just stop wrestling. And we never even see them. We never see what happens. Uh, So if there was a pin or a submission, we did not see it. Um, But anyway. But uh, back
2: to the Strowman-Roman finish... Uh, Stroman is the actual victor,
0: although he doesn't end
2: up looking like one.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, I picked Braun. You picked Roman. So here comes the big separation between us. At this juncture, I am five and two, and you are four and three. Boom! And we have one... Left. The main event is coming up, but before it does, we do see Braun Strowman finally, uh, I guess, uh, rescued, Re- emerge. Yeah. yeah, see him emerge from uh, the the crushed
0: like a tin cocoon can. of twisted metal,
2: and he's covered in I
0: would we'll assume fake blood. Um, it's real. I believe Braun was actually in the back of that ambulance But that, said, but oh, I can take it, just do it.
2: But it's a lot of blood. Yeah. And after uh, a night, a whole night of wrestling that resulted in people being bloodied, uh, like you said a few minutes ago, it's not extreme rules, and yet it almost feels like it. Like, hell, there wasn't this much blood uh, back before they outlawed blood. All right. But... Um, yeah, Strowman emerges He's covered in blood uh, He doesn't want any help from anyone He certainly doesn't want to go on a gurney Or even listen to anyone Gurneys are for pussies, Darren He just sort of skulks away And smears his blood all over everything Especially if it's white Which, so is, which is gross, by is the gross. way That's how you spread diseases That's one way in which you spread diseases Yeah So stop, Braun Strowman you won't, get, you won't get any donuts with that attitude, buddy. Well, you're get nobody's getting any donuts. They've ruined the ambulance. That's true. But Roman has. One more reason to boo Roman. Roman will keep you from eating donuts. <laughs> you're not gonna get any donuts. Dear listeners, have you had a donut today? If you answered yes, well, good for you. <laughs> you must live in Dunkin' Donuts. Um, did you make a <laughs> wish on a genie? Uh if you answered no, then you can thank Roman Reigns
0: for that. So, boo this man. Boo. So, we don't get any donuts, but we do get a universal title defense, which I believe is Brock Lesnar's very first
2: universal title defense. Is that accurate? That is absolutely accurate. We haven't
0: seen him defend it at all. Then, what's the bigger tragedy? Bron Strowman almost dying in an ambulance, or Brock Lesnar just now since Mania, defending that Universal Championship. Darren, that's a heavy question, but I'm gonna
2: say Brock Lesnar defending the bra, belt. Bra 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 bra
0: bra bra. How stupid is that? It's dumb and stupid. And
2: now you're gonna make him fight Samoa Joe, who totally should have the belt, both as a badass character. Uh, a full-time worker, a, uh, a guy who's still hungry, a guy who is passionate about the business, um, a guy who is uh, unexpected in this role. But uh, I don't think we're going to get that. No. I don't think we're going to get that. I am excited that we are seeing this match. Yeah, yeah. It's the first time these two men have
0: ever faced one another. That is cool in and of itself. Yeah. Um. And there's a lot of good things about the match. There's a lot of positive things about the match. Uh, Before the match even begins, uh, Samoa Joe (laughs) slams uh, Brock Lesnar to the announce table, which is pretty awesome. Nice little start, nice little statement at the beginning there. So basically, either way, Samoa Joe looks like a badass win or lose, which is is pretty well done. Um, But, I mean, it is a, uh, as Jim Ross would say and it's a shame he wasn't there to say it, it is a slobber knocker. Um, It's just these two big houses. Uh, fighting each other. Um, Not a lot of wrestling, not not a lot of technical maneuvers, just mainly just power moves and such. Um, But Joe just doing his best to keep Lesnar down to hopefully put him away quick. Uh, But Lesnar is resilient. And uh, sooner or later, Samoa Joe takes a wrong turn and ends up in Suplex City. Yes, he does.
2: And uh, I didn't think they were going to go with the consecutive suplexes, just release German after release German after release German, but they did. They did. And uh, it was, uh, in the same way that it was interesting to see Brock Lesnar kind of get manhandled a little bit by Joe, it's also interesting to see Samoa Joe fly through the air with the greatest of ease, uh, like a, a daring young man on the flying trapeze. <laughs> uh, Brock Lesnar is one of the few people that could probably do that. Yeah, Sort of... Uh, uh, throw Samoa Joe over the mountains, and uh, yes, Uncle Rico, and you know Paul Heyman at, at, at ringside. Paul Heyman always uh, an amazing presence. The guy who gets the business as well or better than anybody that's ever been a part of the business. Every single movement of his body, his face, his eyebrows, his mouth, uh, as the goings on in this match occur. And you just see how great an addition he is to the the package that is
0: Brock Lesnar. Absolutely. Um, so after multiple release-driven suplexes, and there are quite a few, um, Samoa Joe rallies and actually hits uh, the Coquita Clutch on Brock Lesnar. And uh, Lesnar's fading. We saw what happened to Lesnar when... You know, Joe has applied the kahita clutch in the in the past, and uh, his head turns purple. It's actually pretty scary. It is scary. Uh, but Lesnar is able to actually maneuver his way out of the submission hold and actually positions himself uh, where he's got Samoa Joe on his shoulders. Perfect place to be for Brock Lesnar. Uh, not the perfect place to be for Samoa Joe for the, uh, the F5. That's right. And then... That's it. I, I was hoping he could take at least two F5s. Yeah. I was hoping for that first kick out, but didn't get it. Um, instead, one F5, and then the one, two, three. Rock Lesnar retains the Universal Championship. But hey, he defended it, so that's a step in the right direction. And he will be defending it
2: at SummerSlam. So, now we're less than six weeks away. Hey! So, we're not having to wait, what, three months? Yeah. Uh, less than
0: six weeks, So Six weeks is more than 30 days, so, so technically... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's still still, still, he's still, technically still breaking the law. Breaking the, the law. Wrong, duh, so. duh, duh. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's better than uh, the other one, for sure. We both picked Lesnar
2: to win this match. Yay!
0: And uh, so, our head-to-head...
2: Head-to-head. Ends up being a victory for me, all
0: right. All right, all right, good job. Yay,
2: good job. Darren wins.
0: <laughs> the uh, one time, my pick rates. We really did
2: a pretty good job here. I was six and two with my head to head, head to head picks, and you were five and three. All right, so uh, I do win, I do win. But we both did uh, uh, exceptionally well here. So hats on
0: the back all around. Are you saying celebratory donut, Darren? Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to do that, folks. Uh, We're going to get some donuts. But in the meantime, you can listen to a former WWE employee tell you all about working at the WWE, working in the NXT, and other arenas. Uh, where he has actually worked, I'm talking about Rich Bokini. Uh, you might know him as Rich Brennan from WWE NXT, uh, former commentator. Uh, he's got a lot to say, man. This is a huge interview for us, and uh, we just learned so much from Rich. We we talked about so many things. We had to make this a two-parter, so we got uh, part one of our interview with Rich Bokini coming at you right now. Check it out,
2: dear listeners. Joining us here on the Whole Refin Show is the one, the only, Rich Bocchini. Welcome to the Whole Refin Show, Rich.
1: Thanks for getting my name right. That's uh, I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> You're very welcome. We try not to fly blind here,
1: and uh,
2: so uh, it's good. It was, uh, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves on uh, knowing a little bit of something.
1: <laughs> most, most people butcher my last name, so if you if you get the last name right, that's points for you. Well, what have you heard? Oh God! Oh, give me give me a few. If you just looked at my last name and, and you had to guess what uh, it is, what would you think?
0: But uh, Rich, Bacchini, uh, Rich uh, Bacini, Rich Bacini, Bacini. Um, it just, it go down the whole
1: list, fellas, and I'm sure that uh, <laughs> that it, yeah. That, that, I, might, that, that, I might call
0: you Reich. I don't know. I might get that wrong. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, we won't get your B- first name Bikini, wrong. Bikini, Bocini,
2: all that stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, anything that might sound good on an Italian menu. It does sound uh, exactly. delicious. <laughs> it does exactly. sound delicious. Well, we are really pleased to have you on the show today. And um, this, um, speaking for my partner, Perry, this is Darren. And uh, we, uh, we're we glad to have you.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for inviting me on, and uh, always excited to talk about Fest and wrestling in general.
2: Oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, before we can get to Fest, which is fast approaching and, uh, and sort of ever-present in uh, the, ear, the ear holes of our listeners, um, let, let's learn a little bit about your start uh, in wrestling, wrestling as it comes to Rich Bokini, the man, or the child, or whenever it came into your life.
1: I probably first got bitten by the bug around 84, 85 ish, uh, during the whole Hogan era. Oh, and um, I, I don't remember the first. I remember the very first time seeing wrestling was like in the early early eighties. Um, I remember seeing Captain Lou Albano doing an interview, and he had the you know the braids in his or the elastics in his in his beard. Absolutely. And I don't I don't remember who he was with, but I, I remember seeing him. And he was with somebody, and then I remember they they went to the ring, and I remember seeing Lou. I guess they were stomping on somebody or something. I I must have been five or six or seven. I remember asking my dad and my uncle, "What's that thing that looks like boxing, but it's not boxing, but they yell a lot and they and they, and they kick each other and stuff?" My dad's like, "Oh, that's it's wrestling." I said, "Oh, okay." And then, um, you know, the whole the whole Hogan thing happened, and then I discovered TBS wrestling, and I don't remember when I first started watching, I I don't, I want to say that I remember Georgia championship wrestling on TBS, but I'm not sure. I for sure. Remember mid South in the UWF. I don't remember watching Vince and the time that they had TBS. Right. Um, when I first, I I guess when I first really, 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 really fell in love with wrestling, it probably the whole Crockett era, like 85 ish. Um, tully arn dusty wrote the road warriors the road warriors are you know that that's my team uh the rock and roll the midnights all all, all those guys and then growing up in rhode island it was still i don't want to say it was still a wwf territory because the territories were pretty much dead at that point mm-hmm. but they still ran providence like every month when i was growing up or just about every month and um that was the promotion that ran up there nwa crockett i probably came as far as philly and like baltimore um i finally get to see them in like 87 at the boston garden when uh when when they came up there so it was about a year before they sold to turner so it was still really good at
3: that point (laughs) um
1: so yeah i mean that's kind of that's kind of my my i guess my history growing up and as a fan kind of seeing it and then you know the whole hogan stuff it was hard not to as as a kid at at that time nine ten years old it was hard not to get wrapped up in that absolutely Um, hulkamania come on yeah you know and and so there was something though for the crockett stuff and the nwa stuff that i gravitated a little bit more towards because i guess i thought it it felt more real i i watched the awa on espn i watched world class i watched you know whatever i could watch at the time i watched all that stuff the original glow i remember watching not really understanding why it didn't feel like real wrestling. I didn't, really get it. And I, I didn't get it at that point. I think I started to get it towards the end, um, but I watched as much as I could.
2: And you kind of touched on it. And I think it echoes a lot of the sentiment that we had from our personal experiences growing up, as well as what we've learned from talking to a lot of people. It seems like if you watched a lot of wrestling, you didn't lump it together. Even if you're a child, you kind of, uh, felt differently you kind of compartmentalized it you know nwa is over here wwf is over here these things make me feel differently these things are presented differently and it sounds like it was also the case for you
1: yeah i just remember some of the stuff that they did like you know the attack on uh, on dusty in the parking lot and then when the horseman attacked uh, ricky morton and then he shows up the you know they rub his face into the concrete and the following week he shows up and he's you know he's all bandaged up and all that stuff even even some of the you know the world class stuff that you know I mean they were stretching it at a point but the whole thing with, uh, with what was it? Chris Adams getting blinded and it was, uh, that that was the, the same time I think as Gino Hernandez died and that was like oh we 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 have some terrible news this week right. Gino Hernandez died and Chris
2: Adams got blinded uh, <laughs> yeah that is you know inc- I mean? that's incredible and, and, and the, it, it is incredible when you look but at
1: at the time as a kid you don't really right because you are still thinking well wait a minute what's real and what's fake
2: exactly you know or
1: what what what's real and what's part of the show you i mean you knew something wasn't exactly on the level at that point and you kind of knew like oh, i know it's not exactly on the up and up but some of it's real right right so what which part you know but, yeah, when you look back at that now and you think that they announced that in the same show, like, oh, but, hey, our biggest star died, and in Cape, Cape this guy got blinded. It's kind of <laughs> crazy when you think about
0: it. Absolutely, and that's but- a testament to the old WCW, NWA, the territories where – I mean, it it seemed like, and we talked to Tony Weinbender, promoter of Fest, recently, and he said the same kind of thing. It seemed like real fighting. It seemed like uh-huh. all these things were actually happening. You know, horsemen finding people out in like in town and beating them up. You know, before they even get to the arena and stuff. And it was like, well, is this really happening? I mean, I know when I was a kid, I fell for it all. I thought it was all real. It took a oh a, yeah, it took a girl in first grade to tell me that it was fake, and I <laughs> st- I stopped talking to her after that. Um. <laughs>
1: But it's amazing. I remember remember my grandfather coming to shows with me and my dad. My dad wasn't, you know, he's not a big wrestling fan. Uh, He was only a fan or is only a fan because of my interest in it. But he'd take me to the shows all the time. And sometimes his friends would come. But usually my grandfather would come with us. And he's, you know, at at the time, 86, 87-ish. You know, he was already in his 80s at that point. But he'd come with us and he liked boxing. Old Italian guy from from the East Coast, so you know Rocky Marciano was kind of his guy, and right. he's a boxing guy. Ah, oh, that wrestling, yeah, whatever. So he'd come with us, and he'd sit there, and he would he would laugh the whole time. He'd be ah, like, oh, now it's his turn, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can still I can st- still see him just laughing his ass, and I would get so mad because again, same thing. Well, that part was fake, but that part's real, Grandpa. Come on, that part's real. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Anyway,
2: well. That leads me to uh, the question of as far as trying to figure out what's real and what's not real, did you continue as a fan? Have you been a lifelong fan, or was there a break for you? And the reason I ask that is it seems like a lot of people fell off in the early 90s, mid-90s, and it wasn't until wrestling, until that line was really, really blurred again uh, with sort of the outsiders, the NWO, and then the Attitude Era. Uh, That sort of brought everyone back around that may have fallen off because kind of a renaissance in wrestling, basically. Yeah. Or did you stay a fan throughout?
1: I I guess I've always been a fan. There were times, you know, because of different things that that were going on in my life or different jobs I had or whatever, I wasn't able to keep up with it as much as I wanted to. Um, I always kind of kept an ear to it. I kind of knew what was going on. Um, I want to say like when Turner bought Crockett. Little, you know, I still watched up until, you know, religiously probably the mid '90s or so. Um, but man, when when you think about it, that was really kind of a kind of a crap time. Um, early, you know, the early incarnations of WCW once it became WCW, eh? I didn't like a lot of the stuff that they did. Um, the WWF stuff that they were doing with some of the goofy characters and absolutely the rea- the, the real cartoon stuff that that they did, I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, but I still watched it I still kept up I still kept up with it Um, when I was in college a bunch of guys that that were in my dorm um, I'll never forget it coming downstairs when they're in the the big common room and they're all watching wrestling there's like four or five of them a a friend of mine named Kevin uh, Miguel a couple of other guys and I was like man you guys are watching wrestling (laughs) and so, so we started talking about it and that's where I discovered ECW they were watching ECW tapes and I was like holy shit what is this this is awesome and I discovered at that point that um, in Rhode Island, it came on this real low power station that wasn't on cable. It wasn't on. I don't even know what the TV station was, but you had to have just a regular TV with rabbit ears Oh wow um, to, pick, to, to, to pick it up. It'd come on at like one in the morning on Friday nights on, like I said, this real low power station. And that was it. That was the only place that I could watch it in uh, in, in Rhode Island at that point. Um, but like I said, was still still a fan over the years. Still kept up with it. Still kind of knew what was going on. When I discovered ECW, I really enjoyed that. That kind of brought me back into it a little bit. I started watching some of the old stuff again and, and getting into it. But to be completely honest, um, I liked I liked ECW for what it was. Um, I didn't like when WWF went the more extreme route. I don't mind stuff that's over the top in some ways, but like I don't like the super, super PG stuff. But on the same hand, I I wanted to feel like I could take my my nephew to a show. And I'm not – I wouldn't take my nephew to an ECW show. That'd be
0: insane. Right, right, right. Uh, (laughs) So I'm not a fan of the Attitude Era, WWF.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm – and I think everybody looks at the Attitude Era with kind of like rose-colored glasses. I don't – I've gone back and watched a bunch of it, and I'm like, a lot of this sucks. Oh, absolutely. And and it honestly does. A lot of it's garbage. But everybody looks at it, oh my god, I was the best ever. And I mean there was – there was there was good stuff, but there was a lot of it that was awful.
0: People just mean like, oh, The Rock and Austin were awesome, and Mankind was awesome, and Kane and Taker. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the I guess you could say, it was kind of like, oh, fast forward, fast forward, get to the main event. I was all you know, a,
1: a lot of it, the crash t- TV stuff. I don't don't really like. Um, I like again, I, I like realism. I like realism in it, and that's not to say that there can't be. Goofy stuff and, and weird stuff that would never happen in, in, in real life. That's always been part of wrestling, right? But I, I, I like the presentation where there's a little bit, a little bit of class to it. Um, not completely vulgar and whatever, um, although that has its place. Um, so, again, going going back to what you were saying, that kind of led me through, kind of getting where we are. ECW kind of got me back into it. Kind of kept up with it, watched it kind of knew what was going on um it was probably about 2005 though that i really 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 got back into wrestling i had moved to texas to call hockey and i was sitting around one night on a monday night and looking through the channels and there's triple h standing over rick flair with a sledgehammer <laughs> Flair's bleeding imagine this blood still on tv right like oh, man. In, in, in 05 right and i remember it was right before survivor series and i remember watching that and being like oh man i grew up watching rick flair Who's this guy thinking he's going I mean I knew who Triple H was, but it's like he's saying this to Ric Flair. This can't this can't be. I have to go and watch what happens. <laughs> I ended up going to and, and you know, I watched Survivors here. I think I went to like the Buffalo Wild Wings down the street that had it on. And uh from there that just kind of rekindled my uh, my interest in it.
0: Well, free Buffalo Wild Wings plug there, um, but um, yeah, send, send, send me some stuff, guys. Please. <laughs> oh, us too. We have one in town I'll t- here. I'll, here in, here I'll about take the there. Bohemian Garlic or whatever it is. Nice. Maybe
1: I'm, th- maybe I'm thinking of Bucky's. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so you actually mentioned it just now. So you actually, obviously, a wrestling fan for forever, um, but that's not what you went into immediately when it came to announcing. So tell us about how you got into announcing.
1: When I was at college, I, I did college radio. I did a music show, um, you know, typical 1990s kid in college. I wanted free music, played in bands, was always interested in, in, in music. I played the drums growing up, nice. um, kind of figured that I'd go that route. And when it came to uh, to, to getting into college, I, I used to listen to college radio all the time when I was in high school because, you know, before the internet, where would you hear new music? They're like, it was college radio.
3: Oh, yeah. So, left
1: of, the, left of the dial, 90.3 or 89.9, or I mean, you name it, right? All oh, absolutely. those college radio stations late at night always had, you know, awesome metal shows. You could hear all the all, all the newest metal. Um, and then indie rock shows, that type of stuff. So, that, I really get into that. And so, when I went to school, I just kind of wanted free music. So, I was like, I'll do a college radio show. And uh, did that for a couple of years. I worked in a club, like a stagehand helped out the, the the booker at this club a little bit so just very involved in that scene uh, but it, it dawned on me real quick that like well I, I don't want to be I don't want to be a DJ because if I get you know if I get a job as a radio DJ I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go to a classic rock station and play fucking Led Zeppelin all the time <laughs> like I don't want to do that you know what I mean
0: yeah absolutely uh, yeah for sure you don't hear enough zeppelin on the radio i've always said <laughs>
1: yeah never never no stairway to heaven's not played nearly enough <laughs> um <laughs> So, so I went to uh, went to college, did that, and throughout all this time, I uh, also a huge, huge, huge hockey fan, and I played hockey in high school. And I don't know, it just kind of clicked one day. I was like, "Why don't I try doing play by play?" I think I was actually listening to a Providence Bruins game in my in my car one night, and I was like, "Hmm." So that's kind of what I started chasing that, and um, that led to 15 years in pro hockey.
2: Wow. Well, let me ask you this question: you, so Having played hockey and I guess been a fan of it, do you would you say? And then this is me taking a, a shot in the dark here. Would you say your appreciation of sports, of athletics, um, led to your wanting more of a uh, sport feel to, to your wrestling?
1: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's that, that's that's probably a pretty good. Never thought of it like that, but yeah. Yeah, here's another thing too. I, I I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is the uh, if you follow baseball, it's where the Red Sox have their AAA team, and grew up four blocks from McCoy Stadium where they play. Oh wow! Okay. So I so that's an, I mean literally I grew up at that every summer every day. I was a ballpark rat, and there were a bunch of neighborhood kids that that's what we did. We'd go down, we'd watch batting practice, we'd get autographs, we'd go to the game. I later worked there, so I've always kind of had this sort of like I've always been exposed and around pro sports and in 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 specific or in particular minor pro sports okay so i've always kind of had i've always kind of had this affinity maybe for the off the beaten path sport uh sports properties if, if you want to call it that sure uh, but yeah I, n- I never thought about the realism aspect of it. it It probably is because because i have a sports background
2: yeah i uh i've always appreciated the uh sort of off the beaten path uh sports as, as well i and my father Dragged us down to uh, live in Tampa Bay when I was a kid, and I hated to leave my friends. The way he sold it to me was he brought me a fitted Clearwater Phillies uh, baseball oh, cap. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay, if we can go watch them all the time, that's fine. And, uh, they still have a t- – they, they t- are they still with the Phillies? I don't right, believe I'm, so.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm going to look that up. So,
2: sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not sure about that. But um, – I, I will say uh it's nice to nice to hear that you you stayed a uh a hometown kid uh, and uh the Superstation may have turned you on to the NWA but it didn't turn you into an Atlanta Braves fan apparently. <laughs> well, hey, well here's another thing. And by the
1: way, the Clearwater Threshers still a Phillies team. Oh wow. By the, way, the Florida State League, they are. Wow. So there you go. That's um, cool.
3: I I don't think
1: anybody that grew up in the 80s wasn't at least kind of a Braves fan. Right. Be, right, because you got—I mean—you probably either got WGN, which we didn't get, so you probably either grew up watching the Cubs, watching the Braves on TBS, which was me, um, and I also watched a ton of Yankees games on uh, at the time WPIX when it was Phil Rizzuto and, uh, and Bill White. So.
2: Oh wow! Damn. Yeah, see, see, we actually uh, growing up in South Georgia, we had the Superstation TBS, and we had WGN. So obviously the proximity to Atlanta led me to be a Braves fan, but hell I watched just as many Cubs games as I did Braves games. Whereas the Yankees might have well might as well have been on the moon. Like I right. I, I don't think I saw a Yankees game until I was a teenager. They just didn't play on television. The moon had the red yeah,
3: P- team at the time. <laughs> <laughs> PIX P- I
1: don't know that that they were that they were national, but because Rhode Island and you know you, you think of it it's a red, it's Red Sox territory, but it's really Red Sox Yankees. Up in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Boston. A lot of people say there's a dividing line in Connecticut, like in the middle, where there's Yankees fans south, Red Sox fans north, but that's not true. There's a ton of Yankees fans in in Rhode Island. So I think that's why we got the Yankees. I mean, I watched the Red Sox too growing up. I I identified more with the Yankees because my dad and my grandfather are Yankees fans. Right. Um, and, And then kind of went off on my own when I started seeing the guys from Pawtucket move up to Boston. And I started rooting for those guys, and I'm like, wait a minute, how come I'm not a Red Sox fan? And so then I kind of rebelled <laughs> against my dad. I'm like, oh, I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm a Red Sox fan now. So, yeah. Interesting. We have fun with that still. Oh, <laughs> I
0: So, uh, college radio and uh, some announcing, and uh, what led you to WWE?
1: Uh, well, it's kind of long, long and winding. Um, I'll give you the abridged version. So... Started, got my first gig in in, in hockey, 97, 98-ish. Got my first real paid gig in 2000 in Knoxville, Tennessee, of all places. Um, Bounced around, called games for a number of different teams. I ended up in South Texas, like I told you before, down in McAllen, Texas, right on the Mexican border in the Central Hockey League. Um, at the time, we drew awesome crowds. We actually had games on TV on a Mexican TV station, of all things. Wow. The commercials were in Spanish. That counts. Is, <laughs> it was it it was it was interesting for sure. Uh, I ended up moving to Houston uh, to do PR for the Houston Aeros. Uh, at the time, they were in the American Hockey League, so I became their PR guy. I wasn't their radio guy. I did so, I did some broadcast stuff from them, but I was their PR guy, website guy, whatever. That led to me getting in touch with nwa houston which at the time was run by a guy chris ronquillo they later became lone star championship wrestling and and then they folded but uh chris was a guy who i knew uh, a little bit from arena football because when i did hockey in south texas we had an arena football team as well they had a team that played in the suburbs of houston this guy chris worked for them i moved to houston a friend of mine was like hey nwa now has a houston promotion you should get in touch." emailed him, didn't even realize it was him because he had his work name on the email. He was Tony Brooklyn. So I sent, sent an email. <laughs> hey, I you know I, I know Bruce Darp a little bit, did some stuff with him. I know some people down in South Texas. They said I should get in touch. And he emailed me back. Hey, Rich, it's Chris, Chris Ronquillo. I'm like, holy shit. So long story short, I went out and I, I started refing for them. I learned how I trained a little bit, did a couple shows as a ref, but what they really needed was a ring announcer. Became a ring announcer. Started doing that. Um, And then another friend of mine was working with Booker T's show on the other side of Houston and he went on tour with the Globetrotters and that's how I got in touch with Booker and he was like, hey, Rich, you should have Rich come and do play-by-play. Now, at this point, I had never, ever, ever called wrestling play-by-play in my life. Had never done it. Wow. Met Book. He's like, yeah, come to the show and we'll – I didn't really know anything about anybody on the card. knew very very little did as much research as i could but didn't really know much i had no idea how to call wrestling i in my head i had an idea how to do it but never done it well being a lifelong fan
0: probably helped i imagine yeah
1: yeah so so i showed up and i guess i did okay and they, they kept bringing me back And got better at it and um that led to an opportunity with WWE. I don't know if you guys want to hear, you know, the entire details of, of, of all of that, but it all happened pretty quick. Absolutely. Hey,
3: why
0: not? Uh, long story short. Uh, short so story long, job, Rich. Short story long.
1: Short story long. Okay. All, all right. I'll, I'll go I'll, I went to uh, I interviewed for a job with the Houston Texans. Um, so at this point, I had left the Houston Aeros. And I was working for Comcast Sportsnet Houston, which no longer exists. If you want to have some fun about uh, and see the way that cable TV is changing and sports rights and all that stuff is changing, just Google Comcast Sportsnet Houston and you want to read about a friggin' debacle. It's anyway. So I was there (laughs) was not a good situation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And again, I won't get into why Google it if you if you're curious, it's a bad situation. And I interviewed for a job with the Texans that I didn't get, but their play-by-play guy who I interviewed with, Mark Vandermeer, great guy, said to me, um, you know, I listen to your stuff and you should be calling games somewhere. I had a number of people tell me that over the years. At that point, I was sort of like, done the minor league hockey thing. You know, I would still love to call hockey today, but I'm married, whatever, like, those minor league hockey gigs don't pay anything mm-hmm. and it's one thing when you're 20 25 30 to go and unmarried you know, you're, ch- you're chasing this thing and you're going to make 25 grand a year you get a little bit older and you're married that becomes exponentially more difficult for n- a number of reasons yeah sure um so it's like well i'm not gonna eh, i don't want to go to like you know i, I go to the ECHL. ECHL is a great league, but it's like, do I want to go there for a team that may not even exist in a year? All that stuff. I told my wife about it. And I said, hey, you know, I didn't get the, I didn't get the Texans gig, but Mark told me this, you know, told me I should be calling games. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? You're miserable where you are right now. That's what you need to be doing. I had the conversation with her. where? Where? Where am I going to go? And she looks at me and she goes, talk to Book. And I was like, well, maybe I will. She's like, no, 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 talk talk to Book, see what it takes, and if he thinks you have what it takes. And she kind of nudged me. It took me about a week or two to finally talk to him. A lot of guys go to his school, and they think because of who he is and because he's connected that, like, that's their ticket to the WWE. Right, like, that's all win. they got to do. Like, right? And Booker
0: I, T makes one phone call, <laughs> and you're at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Right, and, and, and it doesn't work like that and you know, he's running his own promotion as well and it's not like he's just going to walk in there and he's going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give you a try. I'll, I'll get you a try. No, like you got to work. You have to go there. You have to put your work in and prove to him that you're, that you're worthwhile and I guess I did.
0: That's his name um, on the line. That's, yeah, if he's saying this guy is good, take it from me, that, that means a lot. So obviously he did that for you. That means a lot.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, Book, I, I, I can't thank Book. And, and, and Charmel and, um, you know, Kevin over at reality wrestling. So, so all, all the guys there when, when I was there, like everybody was awesome to, to work with, but you know, book and, and, and Charmel in particular, and especially book really opened a lot of doors for me. And I'm forever, forever grateful to Booker for that. Um, and that, that led to, that led to me getting a tryout and off to the races.
0: Well, what is, what is an announcer, uh, commentator tryout like? Um, do they do they basically play a match and have you just kind of go or?
1: Yeah, there's there, there were a couple things that that they had me do. I went in, I called a few matches, uh, the VO room at, at the at the performance center. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it, but, you know, monitors and whatever. And there's there's a hard drive system where um, you can pull matches down from Stanford. They'll they'll send you like a match from Raw or a number of matches from Raw SmackDown. But they take out the commentary. So you still get the ring announce. You still get the, you know, you still get the, the sound, the arena sound and the ring sound. You just don't get the commentary. So you can go now you can call the match.
3: Yeah, dude,
2: they make you, dude, they turn dude. you into the guy.
1: Basically, you know. So so you're there. You I, I called the, I called, I don't know, four or five matches or something. And then I had to go and uh, cut a promo about uh, WrestleMania Access. They are like, okay, you got sixty seconds. Sell me on WrestleMania Access. I think to go in top of your head. Going, Hey WrestleMania Access, you meet all the stars, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, then I did an interview or like two interviews. I I did one I think with uh with Matt Bloom and then another one with Alex Riley. And Michael Cole was running the thing, so you know, he kinda told them, Okay, go in there and do this and see how he reacts. That was what my trial was like. I don't, I don't punch him in the face and see what he does. (laughs) Well, for 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 instance, Matt Matt Bloom comes in and I'm interviewing him, and he takes off his glasses like this, and you know he's kind of healing it up, and he's like, "Here, hold my glasses," and as I go to grab them, he drops them, and you know he's huge, right? Especially compared to me, he's he's enormous. And at that point, again, you're still kind of like, "All right, what's what are they testing me on, and, and what's a work or whatever," and. Kind of looks at me. He's like, "You just dropped my three hundred dollars glasses," and I'm like, "Okay." And I'm thinking in my head, "Did I really just drop his glasses? (laughs) Is he really pissed?" Or, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, so it was just kind of that
2: reaction. I again, I guess I passed the test. So, very nice. Yeah, the power of persuasion from Prince Albert. Man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yep. And he's a good dude. I I, I like uh, I like Baldo a lot. Nice.
2: So, uh, is most of the, are most of those tryouts now held in Orlando at the Performance Center, or is there still or is there still a lot going on in Stanford?
1: I'd imagine most of the try well, I'd imagine most of the tryouts are in most of them are in Orlando, mm-hmm. but I still think there's stuff that goes on in Connecticut, and it, I think it depends on what the role is. So now they they have a couple of hosts that are stamp that are Stanford based. Um, so I think if they're going to bring somebody in for some of that stuff, they probably do the tryout there. But if you're going to if you're going to come down to uh, to NXT and be part of that, the tryout's probably here, but I don't know.
0: I, I feel like Stanford's more writing oriented, uh, storylines, production kind of a thing.
1: Uh, well, there, there's, so for instance, like Kathy Kelly works out of Stanford. I don't, as far as I know, I don't think she's based here in Florida. As far as I know, she never was. Um, you know, Scott Stanford, for instance, works out of New York and so he's at the studio and there are certain people that are just based up there and there are other people that they send down here to kind of do like the live event loop the nxt live event loop and then be involved in the in the day-to-day stuff at nxt which is kind of kind of what i did
2: so with your tryout uh being at the performance center did you kind of know nxt was the route that you were going to take from the very beginning or was this sort of just a broad uh, tryout for whatever
1: it was... I, I didn't know what the role was. I, I assumed that NXT would be the place to go because especially at the time when I got there, it was still developmental. Um, it still is, no matter what they say, by the way. <laughs> there, there's two NXTs. There's the developmental side, which is the live event loops in Florida, and then you kind of have your touring NXT and your TV NXT. So there's really... There's two separate deals going on right now, maybe even three if you consider just some of the stuff at the Performance Center, but... Um, I assumed, I guess rightfully so, that NXT would be where I would end up if I was offered a gig. And, you know, sure enough, like I, I went in for the tryout. I think it was the same day or it might have been the next day at the TV taping. Um, Cole was like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. We're going to offer you a gig, uh, but it's here in Florida. So you're going to move to Florida. Nice. So.
0: Yeah, NXT okay. NXT team is it seems very uh, seems like a, a well oiled machine where they kind of have a, a pattern, a, a set way of doing things. Because Darren and I, uh, as you listeners would know, attend a lot of NXT house shows, and it seems like unless you are a hot indie wrestler then if you're some guy that just, you know, got a tryout and they liked you, you're you're on the door working security, eventually you get a match at a house show, if you matches at a house show, they think you're ready, you're on TV, that kind of a thing. And, and it seems that way with commentary. Uh, they, they've been taking a lot of announcers who are, you know, their MCs at house shows for about three, four months. And then boom, all of a sudden they are on raw. They're on SmackDown. Like, I that's mean,
1: way, it, that's way faster
0: than it used to be too. Absolutely. No, it's, it's very accelerated. It seems lately. like it's accelerated. Very accelerated. And, uh, yeah. So it, it definitely seems like that's what's going
1: on. <laughs> well, you know what, when, when right, right around the time that I, that I got, that I got sacked, I think some of that stuff was changing, um, <laughs> So where NXT, and we, we're seeing it now where you know Ronaldo's is calling the show now, um, and now like the new guy Vic Joseph or whatever his name is is now I think he's doing main event and he, he was doing
0: know, house doing... shows he was the MC for house shows right. for about three months I noticed it then he shows up in commentary it's like wow he got the phone call fast so
1: yeah so I, I you know I, I'd assume that he was probably in the in, in the VO room working calling matches learning how to call stuff every day I would imagine right um but you know it's kind of it's almost i don't want to say reverse now or whatever but it's like before getting the main event was like it's like okay you did nxt and now the next step is for me it was like the next step is superstars which i don't even think exists anymore
3: <laughs> and then
1: and then the next step from that was main event and then it was like okay and if you could do that now it's smackdown and then from smackdown if you you know raw whatever I, I i never i you know i never got to that point for a million reasons i'm sure but uh it's just different now where so this you know this kid I don't even think ever called an NXT show um and now you know now he's doing the main event I don't know if he's doing 205 live or not but um it, it's it, it's a I guess it's a shift in maybe the way they're doing things um why I I couldn't tell you but uh, you know the biggest reason I would imagine is because NXT is a brand and it's now a it's a thing whereas before it was kind of like you know the network's just starting and It was on Hulu and whatever It was a thing but it wasn't the thing that it is now
0: I I think a a lot of uh, I don't want to say WWE is overextending itself But it certainly seems that way When they realize like Oh no we have like like four brands We have four TV shows We need separate announcers for everyone Otherwise Corey Graves is calling Three of the brands (laughs) and that makes no sense You know So I mean, it does seem like they're like, "Oh, we need this, we need this." So you know, you're you're good enough. Come on, come do announcing. You're good enough. Come on, do interviews. Like it it really does seem that way.
1: There, there's a lot of um, there's there's so much to learn as to it's one thing just to kind of show up and be like, okay, you're going to do an interview. Here's what you have to ask. But there's so much more to the psychology of it and calling wrestling and. So much that go, that goes into it, it's hard to really learn that in three months. And especially the way they do things, uh, I, I was told that it was that it would take me five to ten years to really learn how they do things. Wow! Uh, and yeah, that's what I was told. I was told it'll take five to ten years for you to really learn how we do things.
0: Now it's five to ten weeks. They say that <laughs> five to ten weeks, guys. It's it's
1: it, yeah. I mean, it's it's really accelerated now. and um, Yeah, I was talking about this I think with my wife the other night Think about the amount of content That they put out I mean, it is over, over, over saturation Like, you have a, a pay-per-view last night And pay-per-views don't even mean anything anymore Right, right? It's yeah. just another show But think about it If you're doing a pay-per-view every two weeks That's, say, eight hours If you count it the pre-show or whatever Sure so now, so now, so eight hours of pay per view, and then you're doing three. How long is SmackDown? Two hours?
2: SmackDown's two hours, but then you it, got 205 two. live right after, so it might as well be three hours.
1: So, 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 so let's say, so let's say six hours of live TV programming a week. So that's, for sake of argument, 24 hours a month plus eight hours of pay per view plus NXT every week. Plus, takeover, if you add that in. Plus, main event. It's too much.
2: Absolutely. Well, and then you How get do you to... you keep r- up with it? How, you can't
1: keep up with it all. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you, you
0: we would... have to. It's our job, Rich. It's our job. <laughs> I know,
2: right? I right? tell you, what has become a, a really amazing thing is, is trying to cover that much WWE programming and then cover New Japan, which... The exposure is bigger than ever, and so we're trying to cover New Japan. We're trying to still give a shit about impact uh, or global force wrestling. and But honestly, where our hearts are lying these days is in this crazy, blowing up, independent scene.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at now, too.
2: And so Um, we're trying to cover every single bit of that for this podcast. And our listeners, I mean bless their hearts they stick with us because sometimes it feels like boom for these five minutes we're going to talk about this and then this 10 minutes about this and then you know an hour about this but the the whole time it's just boom 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 you know almost like a pinball machine from topic to topic because everybody's producing so much content
0: absolutely you know I,
1: i think the cool thing is that we're at a point now where whatever kind of wrestling you like you can find it Um, It's probably a matter of finding something that you like and something that that kind of fits with your perception of what wrestling should be or or is, and there's no right or wrong answer to that. There's a lot of talk about that now oh, wrestling should be this or or, or it should be that. Like, I have my idea of how I want wrestling presented, but that doesn't mean it's the right way. Right. The old-time guys have their way that they think it should be, and that's not necessarily the right way or the only way. There's lessons that you can take from it for sure. and There's a lot of a lot of things that, that that you can pull from that that apply today but on 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 the same hand you have to stay current and you have to evolve with what people want so I, you know i'm not a i'm not one of these guys that's like oh you know the the, the indies yeah, they don't do it right or or whatever there there's there's something to like in pretty much everything that's out there and it's a matter of finding to me one one particular promotion or one style that that you like and that you can really dive into and now Again, there's a glut of stuff that's out there, but if you if, if you can filter through it and find the stuff that you like, there's so much of it. And even for WWE, and I think this is kind of where they're going because of the network, they're putting all these different flavors out there, and you can pick. Okay, well, I like the Cruiserweights, or I like I like Raw's more general entertainment thing, or NXT's more real wrestling. Whatever. Maybe maybe you like the British stuff that they're going to end up showing. I'm, I don't know. There's so much out there that you can that you can dive into. It's just a matter of finding it.
0: Yeah, with WWE, it does seem like, because uh, they, they say Raw is a different brand from SmackDown, having all these different shows or flavors, as you say, it, it's like they're trying to create that competition, which is something that's been missing for all these years. So they offer you all these different things because it's like, I'm an NXT guy. I'm a SmackDown guy. When really, you are just you have one choice, actually. It's WWE. But they, they try to you know, package it differently. So it's like, oh, well, then <laughs> I, I definitely like this. And it's like, ha-ha, we get your money anyway because it's all the same bank account. <laughs> So.
1: Yeah, there's. Um, I think there's probably some of that, but when you launch a 24/7 network, uh, I think they realize quickly that like you need to program it. And going back and just doing old, retrospective stuff all the time is that really enough to to sustain the network? Um, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe they're gonna find that there's that they're putting too much stuff out. Uh, but look, they're making more money than they ever have. So why? Why, why change what you're doing? Uh, that their revenue is higher than it's ever been. The ratings might be down, but the revenue's way, way up. And you could say, well, in comparison, it's you know the dollars less valuable. They're making more money than they ever have. That's the end of it.
2: Well, exactly. And you, you know, people are quick critics, old fans, new fans, uh, people that care too much. You know, everybody wants to take WWE and rub their nose in it. But you're like, rub their nose in what? There's there's nothing to rub their nose in. No, there's not. From their perspective, I
0: mean, rub the nose in a pile of money. <laughs> they, <Right? laughs>
1: they, they are the. I mean, that's the pinnacle right now of of the wrestling industry. I mean, yeah, you could say New Japan's a better product. You could say you know anything else is whatever you want to say about the product. That's where the money is, and that's we're seeing a little bit of shift in that in in the indie stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but again, WWE is. I mean, that's the barometer. Wrestling, it, it is. There's no way around
2: it. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, before we dive headfirst into the Indies, no pun intended, uh, but <laughs> before we hashtag nice. dive, there nice. we go. That was
3: good.
2: Uh, we do want to talk a little bit more about your time in the WWE, specifically NXT, and then uh, your your time on SmackDown. You come into the WWE, you come on the air around 2014. Is that right? Yep. And um, you come into NXT. And as you mentioned earlier, this isn't quite the third brand yet. This isn't the yellow brand. This is truly developmental still in
1: 2014. Yeah. Yep. I got there, my tryout was January of 2014. I got there early March of, mid-March 2014, somewhere around there is when I called my first show. Um, I had gone to a number of FCW shows. Uh, I have family in Florida. So whenever I would come, to visit, uh, I would try to, if there was a show near, close enough, I, I, would, I would get in the car and go or sometimes take my daughter with me or my nephew or, or whatever. Um, but I always try to go. So I was in tune with what was going on from, geez, 08, 09 with FCW. I'm not sure when FCW started, but I remember 2009 going to shows um, and just kind of following it. And again, anytime that I was in Florida, I'd always look, is there anything within an hour? So I drove to Leesburg for a show once I remember you know Kissimmee going a couple of times but the beginning of NXT was still very much still had that FCW kind of feel to it It was starting to kind of change over a little bit uh, but it's really the network that launched NXT into becoming the brand that that it is now. but when I got there it was still very much um, you know 50 people at a show my right. first show. In, uh, in beautiful stark florida See what
2: in beautiful stark florida
1: oh god that is the worst town i hate stark if i <laughs> never have to go back to stark and this is nothing against anybody who lives in stark but i'm sorry if i never have to there are two towns if i never have to go to again in my life stark florida is one of them and laredo texas is the other again i know people in laredo nothing against anybody there but if i never have to go back to either of those
2: two towns ever again it's not too soon. <laughs> I don't think the residents would probably disagree with you.
1: <laughs> they don't want to be there either. <laughs> uh, that, those early shows, though, I remember my first show was in Fort Pierce, and it drew okay. I don't know, I forget how many people were there, but it, they weren't drawn like they are now, and then the, the second show was in Leesburg, and like seriously, there were maybe like 50 people there, and that there were shows that were like that. We'd go to Stark, and there'd be 50 people, and driving if you've ever driven from orlando to stark it's not it's not an easy ride to get there there's no easy way to get there no. so it's like it's 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 i think it's three hours from orlando give or take but it's a it's a it's a shitty three-hour ride it's, you know you can get to jacksonville just zip right up you can get to gainesville pretty easy tampa's easy fort pierce is easy stark was always going like oh go to stark man because <laughs> especially coming across there, there there's a spell where you drive and it's just dark and there's nothing for like a half an hour sounds about right. Anyway. Yeah. So and long story short, there a lot of those shows there was they were very sparsely attended. And as the network took off, you started to see these crowds grow. And it was actually really cool being part of that. To to see again fifty people at a show and now Fort Pierce does whatever. Six, seven hundred people probably usually. Yeah. So it's a very cool thing to see grow.
2: It was it's been fun. I started going to uh the shows in Jacksonville in uh, 2014 2015 and we went just this past weekend and it was like night and day the difference in that few years were
1: you at, were you at the show that drake chopped uh oh god who was it drake drake the referee right right had, he had the spot i don't know it was at jacksonville i forget what it was but somebody pushed him and he hauls off and he chopped somebody I'm pretty sure that was in Jacksonville, because that that Jacksonville crowd pops for Drake every time. Oh, we yes. know. We
0: know. and, uh, we know. and they, they, had... they, they refer to the referees that are not Drake. They call them not Drake. Hey, yeah. not Drake. Hey. Like, watch the count or something like that. It's, it's bad.
1: Oh, man. I, I'm pretty sure that maybe it was somewhere else, but I'm pretty sure it was in Jacksonville because he's so over there. Sure. That, and I, I forget what the spot was, but somebody was kind of giving him live, and they got his face, and they pushed him, and he hauls <laughs> off what? and I, I think I think the office said to note that you can't do that anymore. But uh, <laughs> man, but man it, it popped the crowd. And yeah, Jacksonville, that that armory there in Jacksonville was always always super hot, uh, always super hot. And we always loved going there because there's that Whataburger right down the street. Yeah. And, and
0: we've talked about on the show. We, we've done a couple of house show reviews. We actually have gone there, and then all of a sudden, seven NXT wrestlers show up. And you're you're taking a piss next to, like, uh, the Authors of Pain or something like that. (laughs) It is just, I I mean, that's always weird, too, because you share a bathroom with the wrestlers, so... Just just this last Sunday when we went to – or Saturday when we went to Jacksonville for a house show, I go in there and, like, Steve Carino was leaving. I go and I pee and, like, Nick Miller's next to me and Dan Mathel walks in and just like <laughs> – it's just ridiculous. Yeah,
1: it is kind of it is kind of weird um, when 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 you go – because I remember as a fan going to some of those house shows and you'd go in there and whoever would be taking a leak next to you and you're like, oh, oh hey, what's up, man? Yeah. And off, off you'd go. That, that I remember when Hideo first got to NXT, when he first got there, I don't even think he was working the show yet. And I, hey, Hideo, you going to Whataburger after the show? He was like, Whataburger? <laughs> What's that? So I explained, you know, I kind of explained it to him. And uh, his English it, it was still very, very, uh, still really learning English um, to, to be able to converse. Very, very freely right. um if that makes sense i don't know i'm probably not saying that the right way but uh you know his English was still very broken but he could speak enough that that he was like Whataburger? burger what because he'd always put up pictures of him at like ihop
3: right
1: especially when he first got here oh man i can't wait he probably still does it now i haven't looked in a while but he loves ihop <laughs> and I was like, never mind this ihop stuff Whataburger. burger so anyway so he went that night and it's yeah same thing i remember i waiting there and here comes hideo and Baron Corbin, whoever else, and they, and they come in. And, hey, fellas, what's up? And you get your, you know, you get your number one.
2: And <laughs> off <Exactly>. you go. <laughs> well, yeah, especially uh, as far as Whataburger goes, you being kind of a Texas guy too. I mean, that's where Whataburger is born. They're, they're
1: better in Texas. Born in Corpus. Oh wow. Um,
2: hey, born here in we Christian. go.
0: They're better in Texas. Here we go.
1: <laughs> no, you know what? The menu is different in Texas. Oh, is nice. it? Nice. You, you can get so like in 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 Jacksonville. Um the A one thick and
2: hardy burger. Sure. Best
1: hamburger they have, in my opinion, at, uh, at, at whatever. You like you could get it in tech, but
2: you can't always get it in Jacksonville. Oh, it's weird.
1: So yeah. the, so the menu is slightly different. It's still
2: good, but it's slightly different. That's weird. That's right. Yeah, all right. Thumbs up for Whataburger. I can't we can't let <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings get in here and not talk about Whataburger. Not right talking
3: night. about Whataburger, yeah.
2: Uh last thing about the about Drake in Jacksonville, um, and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is uh I believe Kevin Owens makes his NXT television debut on a Wednesday and that Friday he's in Jacksonville at a house show and he comes out to the ring and he goes I could come out here and tell you why I did what I did to Sami Zayn, but this is the town that cheers the referee. And he throws the <laughs> microphone down and he just walks out. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing.
1: I don't know why I don't remember that.
2: Oh, man, it was really great.
1: That was right after R Evolution?
2: Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'd not. Have, I guess it wouldn't have been NXT TV. It would have been R Evolution. And then.
1: I'd, 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 have, I'd have to look back at the dates on that, because I remember doing R Evolution. I remember going to Disney World, like, the next day. Yeah. So if we had a house show in. I, I'm, I'm going to look back at that. Yeah, it would have. that was.
2: Yeah, yeah. it would have it probably been, I guess, I, I guess it was that week. It would have been. That week, or maybe the next weekend, but it was very yeah. soon after because we were like, "Yeah, Kevin Owens probably ain't going to be here tonight." And then, boom, he, he comes out. And uh, but those, you know, those shows were were a big deal because you would see things like Finn Balor. Uh, versus Mm -hmm. neville versus atami in a triple threat main event
0: you would see some great matches like i I mean you'd see like shinsuke nakamura with a hundred people like in a gymnasium or an armory and that's so special you know it's not
1: going to last forever so you're holding on to it (laughs) i i I have a picture and i don't know why I, i don't know if i was like just looking through stuff and i saw the picture or if i just remember this for some reason but i remember a match in jacksonville like what you just said, I think it was Hideo, Sammy, Balor, and maybe Neville in a Fatal 4-Way. Wow, And
2: I remember, yeah. taking
1: a, I remember taking a picture of it and thinking like, Jesus, ma- Like ima- imagine this in Japan. Right. Imagine what that would draw over there, and here we are in this armory and you know, 300 people in Jacksonville, Florida. How crazy is
2: this? Absolutely, yeah. It's really crazy. I mean, we've been saying since episode one of our podcast to anybody that can listen. I was like, I don't care if you don't live in Florida or Georgia get your ass to these shows because it may only cost ten dollars you may only be sitting there with 150 of your closest friends but you are going to see stuff that you will remember forever
1: yeah it's it, it, it's it's a fun atmosphere um, granted at this point I'm probably still a little eh to it, but it's an awesome atmosphere.
0: understood sure. Understandable. Very nice. Um, so let's talk about the NXT to SmackDown transition that okay. you, you had. Okay. So you were working NXT, then I guess eventually you got the tap on the shoulder, more yep. or less? Okay. Let's hear about that.
1: Uh, I got a phone call one day when I was in the VO room. I think I was in there with Graves. Or we were, I think we were just about to start calling some matches or something. I got a call from Michael Cole. Uh, it was on i think a thursday probably thursday either thursday or friday and um says hey you're coming on the road this uh this monday really yep you're gonna call superstars it's two matches couple on cams we'll probably have you do some um backstage stuff or interviews for the web or something i was like awesome (laughs) cool thank you like not really knowing where, you know, where that was going to lead or, or whatever. And sure enough, like an hour later, I start getting my flights and that, uh, that Sunday flew to, like, I think it was, yeah, it was Denver, it was Super Bowl Sunday. And, wow. uh, I remember flying in, I was, I remember being kind of pissed because <laughs> I was on, I was on United and they didn't have free TV. So I couldn't watch, I couldn't watch the game. I remember like leaning over the seats cause the guy in front of me ran his credit card through to watch the game. <laughs> so I'm kind of like staring through the seats <laughs> to watch the game. Just too cheap to, to shell out the money myself, but uh, I, I guess I if I really cared that much about the game, I would have spent the money, but uh, anyway, so I got, got to Denver and was just, I mean, you know, it was a whirlwind, kind of nervous, kind of like not knowing what to expect, and um, I
0: can imagine, yeah,
1: you know, it was, uh, I don't even, I couldn't even really eat beforehand, like, you know, you go and cater, exhaust them. It's probably the best part of being on the road. Catering's unbelievable.
3: <laughs> and I remember
1: like not really being able to eat. Just kind of being nervous and um, did the show. At that point I was just flying out on Sundays coming back on Tuesdays. Um, and it wasn't too long after that, maybe 5 or 6 months or something they like, "Up, oh, you're going to be on the road now on Tuesdays as well. You're going to do main event." Man, so that lasted until mid-summer, probably late summer and then early august i i get the nod where i get told hey uh, we're gonna we're gonna put you on smackdown see how that goes so uh that was august of 2015 i did that until the end of the year and uh ended up back on main event and then very quickly found myself looking for work
0: Yeesh. well let's uh let's talk a bit about your uh smackdown experience like what what's like a a, a typical day in the life of a smackdown commentator like you arrived to the arena
1: uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go through the whole thing. So, Sunday you fly Please. out because it's all part and parcels. The Sunday you fly out, you get in whatever time you get in, uh, get to the hotel. I would usually try to, uh, try to get a workout in. Um, I'm not the most super fit guy, but that was really pushed on you. Like, even me, I'm not, I'm not a very big guy, but they you're gonna lose 10 pounds. We don't have fat announcers anymore. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't think I was that fat. <laughs> Maybe a little fluffy, but not fat. But uh, anyway, so
0: um, listeners are watching Rich right now through Skype. He's very fit, very good-looking guy. Just so <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. There Thank you. you. <laughs> uh, so, and it is going off on a tangent a little bit, but like I legit, I was told drop ten pounds, and we're going to put you on a diet plan. We'll pay for it. So legit, they paid for me to go to a dietitian, get put on a on a diet plan, and then it was you know it was on me as well that I had to. Every first thing I do when I get off the plane, where's the closest planet fitness? Cause I, I got, you know, the, the black card or whatever, just cause they're everywhere. Right. And I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that needs to go to like the super, you know, tough guy gym. Planet fitness is fine. It's got <laughs> treadmills. It's got weights. It's all I need. Um, so I went and I, you know, I, I geez Jeez. I probably got in the best shape that I'd ever been and probably lost about 10 or 15 pounds that I probably quickly gained back as soon as I left. Um, <laughs> but anyway, long story short. So you get in. Get to the hotel, go to the gym, get something to eat, whatever. Next day, if you're on the East Coast, call time was like 2 o'clock. Try to get there a little bit before that. So you're there all day till you know, you get out of the building 1130. By the time you get your car, get on the road. Drive to the next town. If you're lucky, it's an hour. If you're not lucky, it's I've, – I've, I have had five or six-hour drives at times. Wow. Um, but you get in whatever time you get in now to the next town. Try to sleep a little bit. Um – and you'd be back at the building at 2. Um, sometimes earlier than that, if, if you were part of the production meetings. And, and once I got to SmackDown, they started having me go to the production meetings. So either at noon or whatever to, to be there in time for the production meeting. And then you're there all day again until 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, whatever time it is. Um, And, I mean, you're going all day. All day, all day, all day. Um, SmackDown in particular, I would get a script the, or a rundown the night before. Sometimes two days before, I'd look at it, you'd have the production meeting, and then everything would change. So it quickly became like, why do I even bother looking at this? Because it's going to be completely different anyway. Um, You'd go over stuff in the production meeting, and then it would still change five times. By the time that you'd get out to the desk, the show was usually very, very different than what the rundown was. Um, And a lot of times, you you wouldn't get a lot of that stuff until very, very late. Um, so the difficult part in that is making sure that you have all the graphics and all the transitions and all the tosses to, like, the packages and stuff. And right. And that stuff ready to go. Because you call the match, you know the storyline, you call the match, kind of is what it is. But it's they're real big on getting from point A to point B and how you transition from point A to point B. Um, I'm probably not the best at that. I felt like I was getting better at it right around the time they let me go, which is odd because I finally felt like I was getting. Oh. What what you know what I mean? I kind of kind of kind of felt like I was finally getting there for, for that type of stuff. Sure. Um, which was kind of frustrating in, in in some ways, but that's that's what's difficult about being a WWE announcer. It's not the storyline stuff necessarily. It's not calling the matches or having somebody in your headset. Um, that can be distracting at times, but it's making sure that you have all the stuff ready to go, but then being able to adjust quickly on the fly and still have it make sense because stuff changes constantly. Um, So that's, that's the challenge to calling shows there that, and that's why Cole has been there as long as he's been, you can say he's a good play by play guy, not a good play by play guy. I, I personally think he's really good, especially when he's just allowed to do what he's good at, but his bread and butter are the transitions and being able to just adjust on the fly and just seem. if you watch it, he's he'll flub stuff here and there but he is because everybody does but he is 99 percent seamless when he transitions from a to b and a lot of that time a lot of the times he's getting that stuff on the fly um i remember a couple weeks ago there was a uh, you know a clip of him and it looks like somebody said oh cole's sleeping look at him he's so bored he's sleeping because he's got it he's kind of got his head down and i think graves is talking or whatever and he's kind of looking down and it was the reverse shot, so they're not at the desk. It's the reverse shot where, like, they're turned. I and they're recall back that, to the sure. ring. Yeah. So, so, and, so a shot like that, you don't have anywhere to put your notes. You can put it on your lap or whatever. But if you're trying to see, okay, so he's talking about this, and now the producer's telling me, oh, we're going to jump from item 112 to item 116. Well, now you have to kind of look down real quick and see, okay, well, what is item what are we skipping and what are we going to? So how am I going to make this work? Right. Um, so I remember seeing that people, oh look at the Cole, so bored he's sleeping. It's like no, he's getting instructions from his from the producer, and he's looking down to see where to see where he's going to go next. Right. Uh, but that's the challenging part in that gig.
2: Yeah, and he's yeah he the reason he's doing that and the reason he's the best is because he's having to do his job and wrangle the others who may yep. not necessarily be right on point with that technical direction.
1: There's that, and then you're constantly getting fed lines from, you know. In, in my case, it was usually Cole. Um, you have to listen to Kevin Dunn, who's or or Mike Mansuri, who's the producer. Either one of them you're getting instruction from. You might be getting instruction from an agent, might pop in with something and tell you something, you know, tell you whatever. For me, usually it was the producer, and then it was Cole or the director, and or the overall producer, which is Kevin Dunn. Uh, You'd hear from him, and then you'd hear from Cole, who was kind of producing the announcers. And every now and then, Triple H might pop in with something or whatever. That's a lot of voices in your head. Jeez. (laughs) It's like being Al Snow. Um, So
0: I I often uh, marvel at how much information uh, commentary seems to have on people like – it seems like any time you watch a match that's called by Jim Ross, he knows where they went to college. Like if you're if you're watching a match called by Jim Ross, you're about to find out where the wrestler has gone to college, um, or like where he's played football at. Um, do do you have your own packet of information? Do you have like special cheat cards for every wrestler? Or do you do you just do your own research and know this stuff? Or do they say, Hey, I mentioned that he went to Florida State? Like like how do they how do you do that?
1: Um, that can be tricky at times because you're not sure what they want out there and what they don't yeah Um,
0: absolutely
1: yeah i would i even now i still i do my own notes on guys i don't have it necessarily in a way where it's like you know i think jim i've heard jim ross has like cards on each guy that's alphabetical and you hear like some baseball or hockey announcers will have the old school guys will have like an index card system that's alphabetical and they can just pull stuff i have stuff on on my laptop just notes um i used a lot of uh at the time when when I was there uh, on on my iPad, just Apple Notes, and you'd have stuff listed out or whatever, out um, have a file with like every every performer with notes on them, just bio stuff. Right. Um, which you know the the hockey stuff and doing the PR stuff that I did, the media relations for, for teams helped me out with that because I know like okay, you want some of these biographical nuggets, but then you need storyline stuff as well. So I'd have all that stuff. And then you just kind of look at it. And w- once you get calling, once you start calling matches for guys on a consistent basis, you kind of know the stuff. Um
0: well, what about for like for, what about for new wrestlers? Like especially NXT new people, it's like you got you got to call this guy's move, the 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 Canadian Skull Crusher, and there's the guy like, "Oh, by the way, the Canadian Skull Crusher, that's like a double underhook super." So, like, I mean, how does that work?
1: Uh, I would sit down with guys and I, I also had a sheet um, that I, I still try to use even now with, with the indies. I call it my idiot-proof info sheet. And it will have <laughs> um, you know, name, pronunciation, where you're from, height, weight, finisher, uh, key moves, and then you know anything else you want me to get over.
0: Nice.
1: So I, so I try to get stuff from that. And sometimes, even now on, on, on the indies, like sometimes you'll get great stuff from guys. Other times it's like pulling teeth. Um, which really, not to go off on another tangent, that it drives me nuts with guys on the indies that don't send you stuff. Especially when you ask for it, it's like, listen, hey pal, I know you sold ten t-shirts at the merch stand tonight, and you have ten thousand followers on Twitter. Don't be a dick to the guy who's trying to get you over on on the broadcast. Help me, help me, help get you over. Like I'm not asking this stuff to be a pain in the ass. Absolutely. I want to get you. I, I want to get you over. If I'm asking you for stuff, there's a reason I'm asking you for stuff. And and this even goes back to WWE. There was a while where I think on on NXT and. Maybe even on the main shows where, where, where they were burying guys a lot. And, geez, why are they doing this? And that was a directive from up top because guys weren't talking to the announcers and they weren't giving the announcers information. So it's like, you know what? If I'm going to ask you for shit and you're not going to give it to me, I'm just going to say whatever I want. And you may or may not like it. Wow. That's even even now, I know that sounds kind of like a dick thing, but even that's, that's kind of the attitude even now that I take, especially if I reach out to somebody. I'm not going to purposely bury somebody, but if I reach out to you and say, hey, man, I need some notes because – Listen, all these guys are, especially now on the the bigger indie guys. They're going here, they're going there, they're, they're going. It's and with the amount, like we talked earlier, with the amount of information that's out there, it can be difficult to keep up with all this stuff. Absolutely. So, point me as a performer. Tell me what you want me to talk about. Tell me what you want me to get over. Tell me that you were just in Mexico and you wrestled in front of ten thousand people, or whatever. Help me get that over. And going back to NXT, the guys were great about that. For the most part – and then you, at the PC, you were there all the time so you could pull guys aside and, and, and get stuff from them. Part of that is because they had to. Um, on on the independent circuit, there are guys now who are great about getting me stuff or great about getting – I don't want to say me but getting announcer stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are other guys where it's like – and I see them I'm like, dude, you can't respond to an email. Seriously, <laughs> I, I sent you like two emails. I texted you. You can't. So either people don't like me or they're just lazy. So,
0: one or the other. I understand. Uh, Well, I mean, uh, off that, like, what's your relationship with, uh, say, say, you know, you're still at SmackDown. Like, what's your relationship with the wrestlers, with the talent? Like, you guys kind of goofing off backstage before the show, or are they like, oh, he's just the commentator? Or, you know, stuff like that?
1: I I, I stayed out of the wrestlers' locker room for the most part. Uh, We have, uh, we, there's the TV locker room, which is where they shoot. The tv locker room stuff mm-hmm. you know the guys in the background there. in the lot but that's where like the the camera guys will keep their keep their bags and stuff uh the announcers some of the vet guys will go in there and, and get dressed in there for me i was always super respectful to everybody um i'm believe it or not pretty shy and pretty quiet which is a weird thing but i know other announcers that like that as well where like we have this persona where we're these loudmouth announcer guys i never thought i was a loudmouth announcer guy but we're we're putting ourselves out there but we're very shy and quiet it's it's a weird dichotomy i guess right um but i was always super respectful like there are guys that i get along with better than others there are guys that i'm probably more friendly with than than others but every hello how are you good to see you blah 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 the guys that i was tighter with joke around with and stuff but i mean as far as goofing around during the day there's not there's not a lot of that if you're gold bricking and not really doing much of anything you're gonna get shit for it um And honestly, like I said, with the amount of times that things change during the day and the amount of information that you're trying to keep track of, those days were full. I mean, from getting out of the production meeting to, you know, you go and you have something to eat and you're constantly looking at stuff, constantly jotting stuff down. And a lot of times you're you're just waiting for something to be approved and you're like, Okay, well I need to do notes on this, but I can't do this until I know if this is happening. Right and that puts it so there, there, there's a lot of just kind of there's a lot of waiting around for stuff but there's also a lot of like just constantly trying to fill in blanks so right do you uh,
0: I mean with all the changes and stuff I'm sure it's very hard to keep up with everything I mean do you have like a favorite I guess the best word to put it do you have a favorite fuck up that you did
1: on live TV oh tons of them, <laughs> tons, of them. tons of them please indulge us I mean, look the 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 nature the nature of the beast is that if you talk for a living you're gonna fuck up and I know fans expect you to be perfect all the time and it just watch a baseball game watch a hockey game watch whatever you watch that's on live TV announcers fuck up all the time all the time <laughs> um, the goal is to not fuck up a lot and the goal is not to fuck up anything major um my- <laughs>
0: like like Nigel McGuinness referring to <laughs> NXT as ROH
1: uh, yeah, you a know. I, or so well, ago. I mean, that's I I, I get that. I that get it too. Sense. I get it too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like if if you do radio, you work for one team, and the next year you work for somebody else. You know, like I, I what one team I worked for was like the the Killer Bees. Eh, we'll be right back on the Killer Bees Radio Network. But then you go to work for the Houston Aeros the next year. And your first couple games, when you throw to a break, you're like, "We'll be right back on the Killer Beast Radio Network." I mean, right, the right. Radio network.
0: That stuff happens. Yeah, you, you can be um, an autopilot. I, I, I totally understand that. Um, my
1: my 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 favorite one, <laughs> and I, oh, I got so much shit for this. Okay. And wait. rightfully rightfully so. But I'll tell you the backstory. Um, I called a uh, uh, a Fez Press a Bronco Buster, <laughs> and it's Carmella, who I think. Jumps on Eva Maria, whatever. Fez press, middle of the ring. And say, Bronco Buster! And Graves is like, that's a Fez press, Rich. I got tons of Twitter. Oh, you're a fucking hacking. You don't know what you're doing or, or whatever.
0: <laughs> Wrestling fans are very that, forgiving. Yeah.
1: Oh, they are. Well, sometimes. <laughs> the uh, the backstory to that is that was right before Takeover Brooklyn. And we taped a couple of matches before the main show. And we were told, just go out there, warm up, loosen up. And we're going to re-record all this stuff anyway. So just get out there and get loose. Okay, cool. So we go out there. And it was me and Graves because Byron was doing something after that. I think he was doing Tough Enough. So he wasn't on this taping. So me and Graves. We go out there. And the people at home listening can't see me. You guys can see me. I'm kind of half calling the show. Here's the monitor. And I'm kind of like just going over my notes for Takeover Brooklyn. The biggest takeover yet. Right. Right. Fifteen thousand people right before Summerslam, this huge thing. So rightfully, so I'm concentrating on that. I'm not thinking about this show that I'm told we're going to go and re-record anyway.
2: <laughs> right.
1: So I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm I don't want to say I'm not trying, but I, in my mind and Gray's mind, this isn't going anywhere. We're just getting loose. So, like I said, I'm kind of out of the corner of my eye. I see Carmella jump on Eva Marie, and I don't know why I thought they were in the ropes, but I guess I thought they did. Eh, Bronco Buster. All of a sudden, I hear all sorts of laughter in the, in the headset from the back. And crazy, That's a Bez that Press, Richard. Oh, and they, and they roasted me or whatever. <laughs> whatever, you know, but at that point, I'm thinking it's not going anywhere. I'm getting ready for TakeOver Brooklyn. Right. Well, for whatever reason, because of timing issues, we never re recorded it. And there it went <laughs> not on the WWE. Unit. So now I'm the hack that doesn't know the difference between Bronco Buster and a fez press fantastic that's the, back, that's the backstory to that so right. that's that's probably my uh, my my most well-known flub. <laughs> very, nice, very nice i i would get you oh you know you called this move wrong or you, or you, you're you're always going to get that um, i try to call moves by their by their proper name unless there's a particular name for it but i don't i've never gotten super hung up in You know what kind of suplex it is. What kind of oh, that's a a twisting 450 Japanese somersault plancha. Like that shit doesn't honestly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What did what did the move do? Why is the move important in the match? To me, I try to know as much of that stuff as I can. I never wrestled. To me, that's for the. Oh my god, he's really doing a number on his arm there. Well, yeah, that's – this particular move, to me, that's where the color guy should kind of jump in sure. and, and, and give some of that background. I'm still learning now. I'm still I'm, – I'm honestly, I've never been a, a big New Japan wrestling fan for whatever. I just never really had the time to watch it. I'm starting to really get into it now. And even when I started out doing wrestling, like I would go back and I would watch stuff and I'd try to learn as many of the – I don't want to say weird moves but the specialty moves and, and – as i could but again i've always focused more on what is the move doing what body part is it targeting and why is it important to me that's way more important than it than if i get the proper japanese pronunciation or the proper <laughs> name oh my god it, it looks like he's gonna snap his arm in half well that's a inverted fujiwara armbar right or whatever to me that's the color guy's job
3: Right.
2: You, right you you, you're, can, you're you know, just moving you the... can
1: argue with me all day on that but. yeah
2: but I mean what you're doing is you doing calling it that way is you're moving the story forward
0: right the wrestlers are telling the story in the ring you're basically narrating the story as you see it um, and a lot of people aren't going to know the difference between a you know a, a corkscrew plancha and a plancha or whatever the fuck a plancha is so I mean you're just like yeah plancha off the rope or high risk maneuver off the rope and that's fine well
1: here, here's here's the other thing that I get what's to tell me the difference between a clothesline and a lariat? Tell, what's the difference? As, tell me the difference. Uh,
0: a clothesline, maybe your opponent is running at you. A lariat, he is not. There's
1: no fucking difference. No! <laughs> there's no fucking difference. You got difference. me, there's Rich. Zero. You got me. There is zero difference. They're clotheslines. One guy just, you know, I, you could say that a lariat, the arm is crooked a little bit more, your arm's hooked a little bit more as you do the clothesline, if you want to say that's the difference. Generally, and I've had guys tell me this, there's no difference. Right. The biggest difference is that a lariat's usually a little more stiff, and I did have it explained to me once that the arm that delivers the blow is a little more hooked.
2: Well, sure. Lariat. Well, sure. And it, basically, you can,
1: you, can, you can argue that all day. Yeah. If is,
2: if, if, Sta- a difference. if Stan Hansen or Bruiser Brody are doing it, it's a lariat. If anybody right. else is doing it, it's a clothesline.
1: Right. And ask Mike Tanay, He'll he'll tell you for sure. <laughs> is, is is JBL's? clothesline from hell different than stan hansen's lariat
0: it's uh jbl's anything is boring <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i mean really how different it, you could look at it in, in the nuance and say okay well this is slightly different because of whatever it's a fucking clothesline right
2: it is and it's a, certainly it's accomplishing the same thing
1: right right so it matters
2: new japan pro wrestling held night two of their G1 Special in USA from Long Beach, California. This event was held the night following night one of G1 Special in USA on Sunday, the 2nd of July, 2017, but did not air until the following Friday. Thanks a lot, New Japan. Keep us in suspense, man. Nevertheless, if you could avoid the spoilers, which I am assuming... 99% 99% of you did not mm-hmm. um you still got to see a great show and guess what even if you didn't avoid the spoilers you still got to see a great show let's get right into the action no no let's, let's not get into the action let's
0: talk about other things first
3: okay okay well,
0: other things no no other I'm things say, being say, go ahead, other action. things being the action
2: yeah In your opening bout of the evening, we get to see a six-man tag match, sort of a lot of these, as we've been reporting, since we've been reporting uh, much more heavily on New Japan Pro Wrestling, they love their six, eight, and ten-man tag matches, and um, because they had, you know, X amount of talent on these two nights, all those tag matches sort of got thrown in a blender and just redistributed. And so we get some uh, still great matchups, but uh, lot uh, a lot of interesting teammates here. A lot of strange
0: bedfellows. I was going to say that. Aww. Ah. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Jushin Thunder Liger teams with Kushida and David Finlay to take on the Tempura Boys. And Yoshitatsu.
0: Was that Kushida? Because I know the graphic actually said uh, Jay White. Uh, so we, we we can confirm that was Kushida? <laughs> we can confirm that was Kushida. Yeah. He
2: was dressed like Marty McFly. Yeah. He was Japanese. Okay, And
0: uh, so I'm pretty sure it was not Jay White. Yeah, there must have been a last minute change because they forgot to change the opening graphic. Um, which is awesome, by the way, that New Japan, uh, when they start the match, they actually put everyone's name up versus time limit, you know, it, what belts at stake, if anything. That's just cool. Again, makes it feel like more like officially like a fight. Um, but in this case, they forgot to change the graphic out, and it indeed said Jay White uh, when it was actually uh, Kushida. Nevertheless,
2: Kushida, despite not getting properly introduced into this match, uh, does an
0: excellent job. To no fault of J, uh, JR's, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, this actually wasn't JR's well, this fault. This was not this, JR's fault. This flub no. was not the fault of good old JR, Jim Ross, who continued throughout night two to flub his way into the record books. Uh, because there had to be a record on just absolutely most incorrect
0: things said on a live pro wrestling broadcast. Yeah. Uh, I trying to think, uh, Jim Ross maybe got a little too comfortable to, uh, you know, hearing the voices in his head in a non crazy way, but the people in his headset, <laughs> right. People, in the headset saying, you know, Hey, maybe say this, maybe bring this up, you know, maybe that kind of helps him. Maybe he got, I mean, he did that for years. So I understand getting used to it. And now after talking to rich Bokini, about, you know, doing commentary and stuff like that. We got a lot of great insight into, you know, what all you hear, what all you have to think about. And it's just, I, I can't imagine keeping it all in your head. So, in New Japan, he's kind of flying on his own, more or less. I, I doubt he's getting the same kind of coaching. He's certainly not getting, probably,
2: the coaching to that extent. Right. Or that thorough, or that rapid. Right. And he's probably, and the other problem is, of course, he's not doing it every night. Absolutely. He's not doing it multiple nights a week. He probably doesn't even know who half of these guys are. I'd say he
0: doesn't know the roster very well. Um, but it doesn't mean he can't call a decent match, and he does, but the flubs are definitely it could be better. better. It could be better. It could and be better. And
2: it's weird to say that about someone who is literally in multiple wrestling halls of fame simply for his commentary Ability. He's in the Never Fucked Up Once Hall of Fame. Exactly. I don't know what he's doing They're gonna there. They're going to revoke that, They're that, gonna that revoke uh, it. Uh, membership. <laughs> in the end, David Finlay, the son of Fit Finlay. Son of Fit. He wins uh, this match for his team by applying the stretch muffler to Yoshitatsu. Actually, all the members of his team apply submission holds. To their opponents. It's a
0: pretty cool finish when everyone... And, and I like that it's all different submission holds, too. Like someone's up on a Mexican surfboard and... Yeah, yeah, Liger puts the surfboard on one of the Tempura Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kushida
2: actually has a... I, I think they said a double wrist lock on the other Tempura Boy.
0: <laughs> the Indian sunburn
2: on <laughs> the other Tempura Boy. But as Finlay and Yoshitatsu were the legal men,
0: Finlay gets the victory. Yeah, I think they all tap out, basically, more or less, uh, so. Yeah. Either way, they cover all the bases. doesn't matter who's legal at that point. Everyone's tapping on that It's team. a
2: nice, fun start with baby faces going over. Actually, I don't know how heelish the Tempura Boys and Yoshitatsu really are. Kind of seemed like just a whole bunch of faces, because what, what's heelish about Tempura Boys? But Have you had Tempura? I have. It's puts a smile on my face. Yes, Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I got no answers for you. The next match will be the first match of the night from the IWGP US title tournament. This is the beginning of round two, and Kenny Omega, the cleaner of the Bullet Club, takes on Jay Lethal, former ROH World
0: Champion, and this is a hell of a match. This is definitely... Probably definitely uh, my favorite match of the night. Wow, probably, it really definitely. it really was great. And uh just from the very from the, from the very beginning, just from the top, you know, uh, Jay Lethal and Kenny Omega they lock up, and you know it, it comes over to the the ropes. The referee forces the break. Kenny Omega kind of backs off, like okay, I'll be honorable, I'll be honorable, and he kicks Jay Lethal super hard, and it sends Jay Lethal. Through the ropes between the first and second rope. So he falls like a sack of potatoes through the ropes. And it's just beautiful. So well done. It's a nice one-two visual for the viewer to see that straight kick. Exactly. Straight kick. I mean, super strong kick. Obviously a lot of strong style uh, that Kenny Omega has dealt with over the years in New Japan. Um, but also just the way Jay Lethal sells it's perfect. Had he just kind of gone through that middle rope and, you know, ended up on the apron, it would have been kind of like, oh, nice kick. But because he goes, he basically falls through the ropes. Yeah. It's just sold so perfectly. So, I mean, both of them did a really good job on that one.
2: Lethal does manage to get a little offense himself, though, after he finally recovers from the uh, strong start by Omega. Lethal manages to get three consecutive super kicks. And on uh, Kenny Omega, and then the Lethal Injection, Yes, which we referred to, I don't think we referred to it by its actual name when we covered night one of the G1 special, but it's the... <laughs> the hand, bouncy diamond yeah, cutter. Handspring off of the ropes into a diamond cutter, uh, which really is his finisher, and um, nevertheless, Kenny Omega is able to uh, roll out of the ring very, very smart. Hashtag, if wrestling were real, this is precisely how you avoid
0: getting pinned after you've just gotten your lights knocked out. Which, you know, Omega thinks he's safe on the outside, but no, because Jay Lethal hits him with not one, not two, but three suicide dives, uh, which is just, I've never seen that many suicide dives done before, so way to go, Jay Lethal.
2: Nevertheless, Omega now is not uh, one to stay down. He hops back in, gets a hold of Jay Lethal, and it's a really nice Snapdragon suplex. And uh, like you were saying, at that point, it is just on.
0: It is good. go, go. It is back
2: and forth, strong style, high flying. um, And Omega is uh, eventually able to pull this out.
0: Ultimately, he gets Jay Lethal up for the One-Winged Angel, Lethal tries to wiggle out of it uh, and kind of falls forward and and, and sort of a, a powerbomb. Maybe he was trying to hurt Hirana his way out of it, but Omega, just super strong, deceptively strong, and just picks him right back up and throws him right back into position again. Nails that one-winged angel and gets the one, two, three on old Jay Lethal.
2: And Omega moves on Yay. in the U.S. title tournament. Woo. We go right into another match the second match of round two in this U.S. title tournament, and this will determine who fights Omega in the finals. Zack Sabre Jr. takes on Tomohiro Ishii, and this is a battle of contrasts. If you know these guys, then uh, I should say no more. But for those of you, dear listeners, who do not know these guys, Zack Sabre Jr., is one tall, thin, lanky Brit who moves very slowly and deliberately. He can high fly when he needs to, but his ground offense, particularly his submission holds and his chain wrestling and his mat wrestling, are very slow and methodical. I don't mean slow in a critical way. Everything's just very deliberate. Does critical damage to his (laughs) opponent. (laughs) Certainly does. (laughs) Meanwhile... Across the ring from him in this U.S. title tournament matchup is Tomohiro Ishii the Stone Pit Bull. And uh, that is a great name. Because that is kind of what he looks like. He looks like a pit bull made of stone. He, uh, I guess to compare him to someone that uh, more listeners may be familiar with, you get that Taz vibe. You get that Samoa Joe vibe. He's a guy, who, short
0: and squatty, short and, and squatty, stocky, dude. short
2: boots, ass kicker. You know he's gonna he's gonna
0: beat the shit out of you. Napoleon complex. Uh, yeah, and
2: uh, so. I would say, uh, you know, I would I would I dare I say no neck. Yeah. You know, Josh Barnett certainly would say that. Josh Barnett, who is calling the action on this night alongside good old JR, makes a Masters of the Universe reference. When he uh, refers to Ishii as Ram Man.
3: (laughs) uh,
2: But also, I mean, that's not unfair. It's, hey, hey man. So you see the tall, slender Zack Sabre Jr. Who is the submission specialist against the short, squatty Japanese power wrestler. And uh, this is, I love these kind of fun matchups. This reminds me of old school UFC. This is what mixed martial arts was. Uh, This is what mixed martial arts looked like before mixed martial arts became its own style of fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it. So Ishii, in all of his beat your ass glory, uh, takes it right to Zack Sabre Jr., hits him with two vicious headbutts. Really nice... uh, (laughs) either a really nice job selling by Zack Sabre Jr. or he was actually seeing stars and about to throw up because when he received these headbutts, he just looked like he was about to fall on the floor and cry. And uh, I think I would probably do the same thing if I got
0: hit in the head by Ram Man. Well, yeah, by uh, Stone Pitbull. I think uh, that would probably hurt a lot. Um, what hurt a lot probably was that dangling vertical suplex from the top rope on uh Saber Jr. there. That looked pretty nasty. A lot of brain busters. Uh, Ishii has a lot of brain busters in his uh repertoire of moves. It's his bread and butter. It's his bread and brainbuster. Yes, indeed. In fact, the brain buster is how Ishii pulls out the win on Saber Jr., and Ishii is moving on to the finals in the US Tournament. So later
2: tonight, in our main event, dun, dun, dun. we will see Kenny Omega take on Tomohiro Ishii for the first ever IWGP United States Championship. What an honor it will be for whoever wins this match. Who is it going to be? Stay tuned to find out. Next up, we have one of those crazy tag matches—a ten-man tag—as Team CMLL, which really only has three people from CMLL, but well, we'll forgive them. The uh, Titan, Dragon Lee, and Volador Jr. of CMLL are joined on this night by Juice Robinson. And Jay White. Hey! And it actually is Jay White. Are we sure about that? We are sure. Okay. It is the New Zealander Jay White of ROH fame. Here he is. His name is on the screen, and he's actually in the ring. Okay. If you say that, I I agree. Team CMLL will be taking on Losin Gobernables de Hepon with their leader. This is the full group. This is the full LIJ Tetsuya Naito, the leader, joined by Hiromu Takahashi, the time bomb. And the trio of evil, Bushi and Sanada. And they really are a
0: trio. I enjoy them very much. I haven't seen a trio like that since the Three Stooges.
2: Ah, no.
0: (laughs) These are the the three evil
2: stooges. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Especially the one... The guy whose name is Evil Okay, okay He's definitely one of those Okay uh, This, uh Really is just like <laughs> Five singles matches uh, Just happening concurrently Um
0: Which You know Sometimes
2: Sometimes it bees like that Yeah
0: Um But It's, it, it's kind of like when all your wrestlers are on salary So you, you make them all wrestle Everyone get out there Everyone Tin Man Tag Get out there Get out there You gold brickers
2: And so it starts off kind of
0: okay I wasn't that Impressed, I wasn't that excited. Oh, wow! Oh, uh, it's uh, judgmental of a year,
2: <laughs> but then, like I said, because it seemed like five concurrent singles matches, at the point in which it turned into a Takahashi uh, Dragon Lee match, uh, it I got extremely excited. You know, these two were doing moves to one another, then they square off in the middle of the ring. And there is an amazing slap exchange. Oh my god. They must have slapped one another in the chest
0: 40 times each. Yeah. It was really incredible. Dragon Lee and Takahashi have a chop showdown. It's nasty. It really <laughs> it is. It is really
2: nasty. At one point, Dragon Lee turns away from the slapping to go run toward the ropes. He actually pauses, touches his chest... And kind of grimaces and then keeps running as if he only then realized, oh my god, that hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't fake a chop. or You can, but you can tell. You can definitely tell. Yeah.
2: Meanwhile, Dragon Lee is unsuccessful uh, because Takahashi grabs him back to back, hits him with a wheelbarrow suplex and a release German suplex, throwing him into the damn corner. And, uh, I mean, as far as uh, one-on-one matchups go in this 10-man tag, Takahashi has Dragon Lee's number. There's a lot of uh, Lucha Libre action in this match, um, which should come as no surprise, because the three CMLL dudes obviously are luchadors, and... As you pointed out. As I pointed out, Los Ingobernables de Japón are essentially luchadors themselves. Yeah, the name's not
0: in Spanish for no reason. Exactly. (laughs) These
2: guys may be Japanese and primarily work in New Japan, but they got their start, they made their imprint, and they really came into their own when they wrestled in Mexico. These guys made their mark and, you know, definitely made a stamp on the wrestling industry, internationally speaking during their time in Mexico. So, you know, Juice Robinson and Jay White really are the sort of odd men out here. This is this is almost a straight up Lucha Libre match. And they don't disappoint in that regard because at some point you get Bushi and you get Titan and they are flying off the top ropes, jumping into piles of people at ringside, going halfway up the ramp, uh moonsault, plancha, all sorts of lovely Exciting aerial acrobatics, and uh, you can't ask for more than that, especially out of a bunch of luchadors flying around. I, I will say that I I would like to see, uh, you know, a little bit more out of these uh, CMLL guys if they're going to stick around, if they're going to be full-time New Japan guys. We need a little bit more out of them. You know, we don't you don't get that in the Lucha Libre that much, but uh, and New Japan certainly is no WWE. When it comes to breaking down who a character is and what their motivation is and all that, but it'd be nice to see something right out of these guys. I mean, get, I mean, a gimmick, a little bit of just a tiny gimmick, just a tiny
0: right. Because that's that's the nice thing about New Japan is it's not bogged down by storyline, right, An unnecessary storyline. Exactly. Um, Nevertheless, you need to differentiate between guys, especially when they're wearing masks. Right. I, I mean, I think uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, has a lot of that storyline. Like You get, like, a package on everybody. That's true. Like you find out why everyone is about to fight, you know. Uh, but I think sometimes it's just pure wrestling, and I, I, I appreciate the hell out of that, too. I'm with but you. a little more would be nice. I agree, yes. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah.
2: In the end, Jay White pins Bushy
0: following uh, a rock bottom that gets kicked out of and it's weird hearing Jim Ross call a rock bottom uh, on New Japan. It's just kind of odd. Because they say things like uh, Scorpion Deathlock and and Rock Bottom and just all kinds of... I think Diamond Cutter even is said. And, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They're using the WWE
2: Monopoly lexicon. Yeah. Which is they're calling things like it's WWE, WWF, WCW, or ECW. Right. And on one hand... What would you expect Jim Ross to do? Absolutely. Um, that's
0: that's where he comes from. Well, you, you, you'd expect him to call the Sharpshooter, but <laughs> as you and I both know, Scorpion Deathlock came first. Sharpshooter's actually designed after the Scorpion Deathlock. They are the same move, just different name. So. Absolutely.
2: Uh, Jay White, however, gets the victory here by getting the pin on Bushi with actual finisher of sister abigail yeah which josh barnett really really wants to call a flatliner but in no way is that move the flatliner yeah which was of course canyon aka mortis of wcw fame his finisher this move that jay white does to bushi is not that move no it's the sister abigail obviously minus the kiss part You know, he brings them over on their knee, and then he whips them around and drops them on their face. I mean, that's what that move is. The
0: kiss is the best part. Randy. Oh, Randy. You're going to make me
2: (laughs) kiss my opponent. (laughs) Jay White, though. Jay White is on somebody's radar. He is in somebody's sights because two nights in a row, he's the man for his team. Because sometimes there's a man. (laughs)
0: Sometimes there's a man
2: And uh, he's the man for his team That's right He's the man for his time And Jay White You did it In six man tag match We have two of the biggest Heavy hitting tag teams in New Japan War Machine and the Gorillas of Destiny Each team take on an extra man For a six man tag match here War Machine which are Hanson and Raymond Rowe. Raymond, don't call me Death, Mm -hmm. Rowe. And uh, even though JR will both say that and still call him Death Rowe many times in this match, they're joined by Big Mike, the indestructible Michael Elgin, and they take on the Gorillas of Destiny. Of course, that's Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa joined... By their father, Haku.
0: Yay, the sons of Haku, joined by Haku. By father, Haku. Oh, father, Haku. He should be called father of the sons of Haku. (laughs)
2: Uh, (laughs) The the sons of Haku and the father of the sons of Haku, a.k.a. Haku, are joined (laughs) by their Bullet Club brethren, Hangman Page. Hangman, Hangman. And this is, uh, this is a good match. I, I like War Machine and Gorillas of Destiny, period. I found myself saying to you while watching, I want to see Michael Elgin just become a part of War Machine. I want to see, like... Because, uh, you know, War Machine kind of has a little bit of a uh, Road Warriors meets William Wallace vibe. and uh, But the Road Warriors never really had a third... <laughs> Road Warrior. I mean, you, you, they had Precious Paul. Uh, draws. Later there was Draws. Uh... They, you know, yes. But there was never like, boom, here is a third Road Warrior. Meanwhile, the first ever, what I consider the first ever, Road Warrior ripoff, Demolition, there were ultimately three of them. And I loved Axe, Smash, and Crush. Right. So it would have been cool if there was Hawk, Animal, and somebody else. We never got to really see that, really. and uh, But Michael Elgin, man. Take him out of his, you know, 21st century, you know, cool guy, singlet. And put him in some weird, buckled up brown leather. And uh, throw some tattoos on him. And, man, he'd be a great third
0: member of War Machine, right? And he becomes Killian Dane, though. Kind of does. Killian Dane can join the band. Hey. All right. The big, hairy, white guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> They'd
0: go over really well in New Japan. I i, I mean that. I actually would. Cause... It is a delicacy there in, <laughs> in Japan. The two most notable... I may
2: go. I may go. Well, okay. Well, I, I'll, I may join you. Okay. If I could ever convince myself to sit on an airplane for that long of a flight. Whew. I'm
0: a... Whew. He, he, he is a... Whew. Let me tell you. Folks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> two things really stood out to me in this match. Uh... Michael Elgin's strength, and Hanson's agility. I uh, my favorite single individual in this match is still Tamatanga. I loves the Tamatanga. However, he's just sort of an afterthought in this match. I'm really focused on and impressed with War Machine and Michael Elgin here. And like I said, Elgin's strength is absurd. Whether it's just the strength behind. His punches and his kicks and his deliberate movement or the actual strength of picking people up and tossing them around. Meanwhile, by far the biggest man in this match, Hansen, showing ridiculous agility. He does a, a double Bronco Buster
0: to the Sons of Haku.
2: And, uh, yeah,
0: it's wild. Yeah, and again, it's it's discombobulating seeing a big man do all that. Like he jumps off the top rope. And lands it and does a roll. And it's just like, what? <laughs> What's happening? A cool thing about uh, Hanson to me... In an
2: age where we're starting to be older than most of the uh, active rosters... What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> except for, of course, the people, our heroes and the legends that we grew up... Who happen to still be around whether uh, you know they need to be or not. Oh. Um, besides those guys most of your world champions and the people on the active rosters all over the globe are our age or, or younger. And then you add to the fact that we hyper-scrutinize the product. There isn't a lot of room left for the, the sort of detached viewing. And uh, Hansen is one of the few wrestlers that allows me to do that. I look at him, and I can't imagine him in a t-shirt and jeans backstage, talking about the match. I can't imagine having him as a guest on this podcast. I'd love to. Hanson, if you're listening, please, please, we'd love to have War Machine on the podcast. Uh, because then, I wouldn't have to try and imagine it. I could
0: actually, we could live it out. Mm-hmm. But you
2: see what I mean? There's there's something about Hanson.
0: I doubt Hanson has Skype, Darren. He's, he might. He lives in a, a, a cave, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But he's one of those guys that the character is
2: believable enough that I'm like, wow. And that's cool. That's so rare these days. But uh, of all these people that we're talking about, <laughs> we're not talking about the man who wins the match. No. Hangman Page gets the win with a pile driver. Yeah. And that's all I really know to call it. I, it's The man is on his backside and he drops him on his head.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's like a pile driver, but instead of pile driving from the front, you pile driver from the back. Um, so that's that's and by that I mean your opponent is on the back. So it that's really it's kinda odd, but unique looking and, and it's a cool finisher. And it is Raymond Rowe. He receives this move from Hangman Page and the Bullet Club, the Gorillas of Destiny, Hangman yeah. Page, get the victory. I I can see you know, them not having the Gorillas of Destiny actually pinned any of War Machine because that is a big feud going on, that they're fighting for the tag team titles and all that stuff. So, this way, like, this isn't, like, part of that. You know what I mean? Like,
2: oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, we see a tag team match that we have seen several times this year. And uh, I haven't gotten tired of it yet, though. And that is our boys, Rapongi Vice. Rapongi. Rapongi. Rapongi Lights. Rapongi Vice as they take on the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, the Young
0: Bucks. That is, This is the third time we've seen this since Wrestle Kingdom 11. Um, and it's always a good match. It is always a good match, I must say. Yeah. I, uh,
2: another thing that I must say is that uh, Beretta, I finally figured out what I, I, I'm looking at when I'm looking at Beretta. Oh, here we go. He looks like if they cast Thomas Jane, the actor, Okay. As Rambo.
0: Uh, yes. That's
2: what Beretta looks like. The, the, the headband
0: helps. The headband does well, help. The headband turns it into Rambo as the role. Right. Well, I think he's just a big fan of Contra for NES. Because um, I see that headband, I, I think Contra <laughs> immediately. Um, Rambo, Contra, something from the 80s. Just put Thomas Jane in the role.
2: And, you know, Beretta can sit at home and collect the royalties. Well, you know, the
0: the guys from Contra... They're designed after Rambo and uh, Schwarzenegger from Predator, so it's Dutch and it's Rambo. It's Ouroboros. It is. So, but we're both right, is what I'm saying. Yes.
3: Well, yeah. As well, we
0: tend to be on the whole <laughs> ref <of> show, <laughs> the only wrestling podcast that calls a ride down the middle. Five. This is exactly what you would expect it to be. It is
2: the young bucks doing moves that make your draw hit the floor.
0: Yeah, there's way too many really awesome spots in this uh, match to, to talk about them all. And not take six hours talking about the match. But one of my favorite spots is uh, Matt uh, Jackson flips over Beretta from the apron. Uh, trying to do like a... Like like Beretta's on the outside waiting for a tag. And Matt jumps over him. Like maybe a sunset flip powerbomb. Uh, but oh, yeah, but yeah, Beretta yeah. hangs on to the rope. And eventually Nick gives him a super kick. Which loosens Beretta's grip. Uh, Matt has got Brett up in a powerbomb. Runs halfway down the entry ramp and finally just power bombs the shit out of Beretta, which takes him out for a good long while. Uh, but just that whole entire thing was just great. Yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, I, I love the Young Bucks. Their particular
2: brand of healing it up, where they're just sort of like the uh, the the cool kids in school who think they're better than you. You know, they're not chicken shit heels. They're not necessarily cheaters. They kind of back up what they say. But they're
0: just... Two brats. They are. They're like, they're like two bratty children who are also really good wrestlers.
2: Such good wrestlers, in fact, that following a Meltzer driver, both members of the Young Bucks apply the Scorpion Deathlock to their opponents in Rapongi Vice and capture the win here, retaining uh, their IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles. After the match, rapongi Vice go their separate ways. That's right. Rocky Romero essentially sends his buddy, his partner, Beretta, up to the heavyweight division, sacrificing himself so that Beretta may live.
0: That's, that's the weird thing. Is It's like uh, Rocky's basically like, Beretta, you should be a heavyweight. Get out there. I'm not going to hold you back anymore. But it's like. Well, what about Rocky Rivero? Does that mean they're like, is he going to retire? It's like, no, he's gotta, not going to retire, you <laughs> idiot. It is literally the
2: opposite of everything we've ever seen in wrestling. This never happens. Mm-hmm. The person going up or leaving always turns heel. Yeah, yeah. It's never just like, somebody. hey,
0: do it because I'm looking out for you, <laughs> not you didn't hold up your hand, you're holding me back, a la what we're saying, you know. Big Cass and Enzo and all that stuff. I know it's too soon, Darren. Calm down. Please don't cry. (laughs) However, RPG, Rapongi Vice, this one's for you. Rapongi, Rapongi, Rapongi Lights, Rapongi Vice. Never gets old, Darren.
2: Of course not. Never gets old, Darren. (laughs) Next up, we have another one of those kooky, crazy New Japan favorites. We've got an eight-man tag. Yay! The Bullet Club in this particular match, represented by Cody, a.k.a. Cody Rhodes, the villain Marty Scurll, Yujiro Takahashi of the Tokyo Pimps, and Bad Luck Fale take on... The IWGP Heavyweight Champion, the Rainmaker, Kashka Okada. And he is joined by the Briscoe Brothers, Jay and Mark, as well as Will Ospreay. Now, this is an odd pairing of people, yeah. Yeah, first of all, what a match. Yeah. What a list of uh, participants. And yeah, that second team is kind of wild. Don't know that I ever expected to see uh, those four tagging together, but I'm glad I did.
0: This is kind of kind of war games esque, where it's like, yeah. you guys got a problem? Go go! You guys get together and fight each other. And I mean, I guess it's it's kind of that. It's kind of Survivor Series. It's kind of like I absolutely. It's, you, it's, you you four got common enemies. Well, go get out there, Survivor Series. Brought to you by Karate Fighters. Karate Fighters. Karate Fighters.
2: The match seemed like it would never begin. Um, and I guess maybe this uh, is uh, it's odd that the match with this much talent. Would be almost the comedy match. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess maybe it's sort of a, a thank you to Cody and Okada for tearing the house down the night before in the main event uh, of night one. <laughs> you guys get a
0: nice easy day, yeah. But
2: the match really, really takes forever to start. Uh, it's uh, sort of testing your limits, you're testing your patience like a Family Guy joke would. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, oh my god, Cody tags in Marty Scurll, Marty Scurll tags in Cody. Cody tags in Marty Scurll, Marty Scurll tags in Cody. The crowd chants for Fale, they tag in Fale. He tags in Cody. The, the crowd chants for Yujiro, he tags in Yujiro. Yujiro tags in Cody. Oh my god. And by the time the Bullet Club stops playing Grab Dick, all of a sudden, then... Oh, who's a? Is it Mark? Is it Jay? Is it Okada? Oh no, but it's Osprey. Oh no, it's Okada. Right. So uh, you know that's fun for a little while, and then it really does kind of get to like.
0: Okay, <laughs> I will say you you won't see like indie wrestling shenaniganry uh, like <laughs> that on WWE, which is one one good thing I'll say about WWE. You know, um, obviously you'll see some really dumb shit. On uh, you know Raw and SmackDown, what have you? But I mean stuff like this because this this does go on for too long, too long, and and not in a way where like oh it's funny oh it's funny okay now it's not so funny okay now it's not funny oh it's funny again. It just was like okay just start the fucking match like it really was it yeah, really was. So there's that.
2: Unfortunately, it took away from it really because I don't even recall a lot of the wrestling that was involved here. Uh, Will Ospreay probably had the best showing. Out of the eight people, yeah, he he had a lot of uh, he had a lot he got the biggest pops. It was the Osprey show, and uh, he got the biggest pops. I think he took the most risks. Mm-hmm. He was definitely the most showy here. Um, you know, I think Jay Briscoe probably was the 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 badass in this match. You know, of course the Bullet Club also took turns wasting time, all pretending to basically do like a Val Venus Hip swivel. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You now that again, a bit much, but in the end, the Bullet Club
0: gets the victory yeah. as Cody hits the crossroads on Will Osprey. Poor Osprey is the highlight of the match; he has to take the fall. Oh, that's the way it goes. So the Bullet Club having a really good showing here, three matches in a row. Yeah, victories. Really and, good. Uh, Considering that on night one, the Bullet Club like couldn't couldn't win a match to save their lives. So, uh, and uh, Bullet Club is
2: going to have one more opportunity in the main event. But before we get to the main event, we are looking at the penultimate match of the evening. The IWGP Intercontinental Championship is on the line. And the champion, the ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defends his title against the badass Billy Gunn. William Gunn. Billy Gunn challenged Tanahashi uh, in such a manner, I guess, that is to be described as professional and personal, demanding this uh, shot at Tanahashi's IC Championship, and uh, Tanahashi was more than happy to grant it.
0: So he said, it's not personal, it's just business. Okay, it's also personal.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> right.
0: So, uh, these two, uh,
2: there's a size differential that is, uh, uh, similar to, uh, like I said earlier when referring to Zack Sabre Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii, uh, Tanahashi, who, I don't think anybody sits at home and thinks, Tanahashi's huge, but I think... I do, I sit at home and think
0: Tanahashi's huge.
2: <laughs> but, I think that in New Japan, uh... He seems a lot bigger. And Billy Gunn, I think we underestimate how big he is. Right. Well, if you take both of those uh, schools of thought, and then you put those two men uh, face-to-face
0: in the ring, Billy Gunn is definitely staring down. Yeah, I called that the Mike Awesome Force perspective. We thought Mike Awesome was a giant ECW. Then he stands next to Hulk Hogan, and Hogan is a head taller than he is. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, tanahashi uh, takes it to Billy Gunn though Billy
2: Gunn seems like he's on the defensive almost this whole match um, Billy Gunn still you know showing some age um, but mostly it's I think having spent too much in a tanning bed yeah way too much time in a tanning bed because for his age he's still in incredible shape yeah and but still skin
0: skin's looking a little rough there Billy and still horribly foul mouth as well uh, <laughs> yes. because much like he did a night one. And I guess no one said, hey, don't do that. He said, uh, uh, suck my dick to uh, his opponent. And, and just for uh, good measure, he also
2: threw in an MF earlier. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, hey, Billy Gunn,
0: you did it.
2: <laughs> Tanahashi takes out Billy Gunn, though, and defends his IC championship by hitting the 1-2 sling blade followed
0: by the high fly flow. You call it the sling blade. I call it the Kaiser
2: blade. Well, you know, some oh, folks call it. The Kaiser Blade, I call it a sling blade. Right. And uh, Tanahashi takes the belt back to Japan. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, New Japan.
2: Oh, dope! They were in Long Beach, of yeah, course. exactly. He literally takes it back to Japan. Yeah. And at one point in the night, we do find out that New Japan plans to return to the United States. And it will not be until 2018, however... So Tanahashi, by taking this belt back to Japan, he's taking it back to Japan for a good long while. We're only halfway through 2017. um, And if we're to take the combined uh, uh, takeaways, I guess, from hearing that they won't be back until 2018, and then some of the things we might hear at the end of the show out of the mouth of one Kenny Omega, one is led to believe that New Japan... Uh not so sure. They're kind of hesitant about their expansion into North America. And it seems like, you know, there's there's two camps um in, in New Japan. The one that thinks, yeah, full steam ahead, and one that is uh being a little little more cautious. Mm-hmm. But uh nevertheless, they have created a United States championship, they've created a tournament, and in these two nights in Long Beach, we've held that tournament. And now it is the final match to determine the inaugural IWGP United States Champion. Kenny Omega, accompanied to the ring by the Young Bucks, takes on the Stone
0: Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. And the uh, the cool thing about the match is uh, Kenny Omega seems to adapt to whoever he's facing. I mean, with Okada, it's it's a lot of high flying and and you know a lot of stuff that you expect out of Kenny Omega. But for someone like Ishii, who is a stone pit bull, who is you know kind of shorter in stature and just kind of like it's like ba- like lifting a bag of cement, you know, <laughs> low center of gravity and all that, you got to change up your tactics and and it, it's just it's cool kind of watching him adjust and and watching him sell things, you know, like when. Ishii like you know chops him particularly hard or kicks him hard. Then he kind of like he takes it a bit more than he would if like Okada hit him or something like that. So I I love the the theatrics involved. I think Kenny Omega just all the time is firing on all cylinders with his his skill set, his moves, also his his selling and just his his ring psychology is always there. I I can't say anything things about uh, Kenny Omega. He makes. He eat like a million bucks. Not that he doesn't already look like a million bucks, but you see what I'm saying.
2: Oh, I, I absolutely see what you're saying. Yeah. Like you said, the adjusting of his style, the stri- this is a striking match. Yeah. At least the first half of the match. It is way more than any type of moves. I mean, and they barely leave their feet. It is just striking. It is, uh, it is a very hard-fought match. They go out into the crowd. This is something we have not seen at any point in either of the two nights of... Uh, This G One special in USA, they take it deep into the crowd, like up against the back wall almost, and they're you know running fans out of their seats, and they're in they're into the chairs, and they're chopping and throwing one another on the ground, and it's wonderful. It's uh it's just the type of thing that I love to see. You know, not in every match, but uh, it's the type of thing I like to see every now and in wrestling every now and then, and uh, you know it's way better to see it than never. Um, But this match, I mean, it basically fills up almost an hour of this G1 special in USA. It is the final match, and they take every second they have to tell this story. It really is. I mean, it would take us an hour to
0: go blow by blow, so we will not. But some of the memorable spots, uh, one uh, that really stood out for me was uh, Ishii is just kind of standing in the ring, maybe a little dazed from just wrestling in general. Kenny Omega gets the top rope and drop kicks Ishii in the back of the head, which looked painful as shit.
2: It Um, looked really (laughs)
0: gnarly, really gnarly. That was that was rough, man. That was uh, God. You don't hit someone back of the head like that. I don't care like how much you're pulling back like that. That looked dangerous, but he's a stone pit bull. He can take (laughs) it, man. He's made of stone. You can kick a stone. Your foot's the thing that's going to hurt. Yeah. um, Not the stone. The, uh, there's, of course, a table that gets set up on the outside of the ring. Um, in which case, Kenny Omega tries to get, uh, Ishii through the table. He, he gets, uh, Ishii is on the outside apron holding onto the rope. Omega's behind him trying so hard to pull Ishii off the rope and trying to pull him off the rope. And, he eventually gets his arms Ishii's arms so he can do a, a, a Snapdragon suplex. But Ishii holds on to the rope using his teeth, which is just insane because Kenny Omega is legit hanging off of Ishi, Ishii and Ishii not budging. That is that a hurt hell my of teeth. A bite. Yeah, that hurt my teeth. But uh, um, yeah, eventually the Omega does get that Snapdragon suplex off on Ishii into the table. And it just looks awesome. Oh,
2: yeah. The, dear listeners, this is a New Japan table. This is not an ECW table. It's more of a this plank. This is not a WWE table. Yeah. This thing is about four, four and a half feet long. Yeah. Maybe 14 inches wide. Yeah. And uh, so, try first of all, try hitting that. And the target is much smaller. Mm-hmm. And that Snapdragon suplex off the apron. And they essentially both go through head first. Um, the slow motion version does show that somehow they managed to pull that move off pretty safely, but, uh, in full speed in full motion, that
0: move was the move of the night. It was. It was mind blowing. And Kenny Omega's Snapdragon Suplexes are, are mind boggling anyway, because they're so quick. They are so they fast. They are super fast. Especially yeah. someone like Ishii, like someone as heavy as that, like God how does he do that? Uh, yeah, how do you throw that guy that behind you on top of his head that fast? It's like almost too fast for your eye to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ishii does uh, rally back from that somehow. It gets more offense in. And like Darren said, this is a long match. Um, but Ishii actually puts uh, Kenny Omega in his own finisher, the one-winged angel, and hits Omega with it, but does not does not get the win with it. Uh, more wrestling, more wrestling, and eventually, ultimately, as we all figured would happen, Ishii on the shoulders, one-winged angel, the one, two, three, your new, your first U.S. champion, Kenny Omega, the
2: cleaner. The locker room empties of all the members of the Bullet Club. Yeah, but no one else.
0: Just, just Bullet Club.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one else was happy. So you get the Gorillas of destiny, and you get the young bucks, the father of the sons of Haku, <laughs> you get Hang AKA Man Haku, H- you get Hangman Page, and Chase Owen, and uh, Marty Skrull. Who else? Who else is out there? Uh, I guess after you think that that's it, uh, then all of a sudden there's Cody. Mm-hmm. Cody snatches the uh, U.S. belt away from Kenny Omega. And then after a second of uneasy uh, tension as they've been building toward this who's the real leader of the Bullet Club, Uh, tensions ease, at least for the moment. Cody gives a big hug to Kenny Omega. And Matt Jackson helps Cody put the uh, U.S. championship belt around the waist of Kenny Omega. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Kenny Omega goes on to say we will be back. We've worked very hard. Me, myself, Kenny Omega, I've worked hard. The Bullet Club has worked hard. We were a bunch of people that the, that the Japanese crowd and the Japanese bosses thought were nobodies. But here we are. We're somebodies. And we've helped make this transition into North America, this expansion. And, uh, and I thought it was kind of ballsy. I wonder how much of that's a shoot. You know, and how much of that is a work shoot and then how much is just a work? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, we, we might not ever know the, the extent of that. But nevertheless, Kenny Omega makes it very clear that the audience, the wrestling audience at large, and especially the, the ravenous uh, adult American audience, which would include the likes of us here at The Whole reference Show, are responsible for this renaissance of uh, pro wrestling that's going on right now and uh, sort of uh, New Japan being able to rise like a phoenix from its own ashes, as well as the, the indie wrestling scene, which has become almost a powerful new version of the old territory system. And Omega seems to kind of be speaking to all of that, and that's very cool.
0: That's the kind of thing you're not gonna hear on WWE television well also I think Omega gets a lot of respect for his abilities um, and what he's been able to accomplish especially in New Japan you know finally a white man done good in this world <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah that's it for uh, G1 uh, night two we have a US champion and uh, New Japan did really well here in the states and uh, Long Beach and everyone's happy I was happy. I was super happy. I am glad
2: the show happened. I cannot wait for them to come back to the United States. And, well, hell,
0: I just can't wait to watch more New Japan no matter where they are. Well, there you go. Darren's happy and I'm happy. The question is, folks, were you happy? Let us know. And there's a lot of ways you can let us know. Like, for instance, Twitter at Refn Show podcast. That's R-E-F-N S H O W P O D C A S T. Find us on Facebook. Uh, like and share. Uh, send us an email if you want at the whole at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E. R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com or you can find us on
2: Instagram. A lot of you are finding us on Instagram and we thank you for that. Please keep making your comments, answering my questions, asking your own questions, participating on a great Instagram landscape and forum. It's a, it's a great place to look at cool pictures from wrestling's past and present and have fun conversations about all points in between.
0: Absolutely. And once again, we do want to thank uh, Mr. Rich Bokini, the voice of Fest Wrestling, Uh, For his insights and his wise words Tune in next week for part two of that interview That's right, more rich Oh man, some really good stuff Some great insider stuff You gotta tune in for that folks Tune in for us too Because we'll see you next week As we always do On the only wrestling podcast That calls it right down the middle My name is Perry Smith And my name is Darren Beasley See you next week folks On the Whole and Show
2: Oh boy!